This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy days are here again. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Tuesday. And uh, boy, oh boy, it's a big day for President Donald Trump. Today, they say maybe, according to CNN, one of the biggest days of his presidency so far. He gets to address the joint sessions of Congress, uh, not a State of the Union, because he hasn't been in long enough, apparently, to do a State of the Union. But he's going to just, I guess, outline his agenda, his goals, his uh, focus. I thought you were going to say it's because... Because of the Oscars, nobody was paying attention to him. No, no, no. That would be a big day for him. He was very quiet on the Oscars. We were just talking about that's yeah. That was surprising. He's been busy until he sat down and interview with Breitbart. What happened there? That's what they. That's where like those quotes oh, about. That's where the, that yeah. Came out. The guy asked him, and that was they put out the quote, and then how much he hates the New York Times. Those <laughs> were their two quotes to kind of sell this interview. He's today's a big day. Imagine walking in and addressing the country. That's a big deal. And especially for a man that is used to winging it, not having a teleprompter today, he'll probably be telepromptering it up. Absolutely. And usually he gives incredible speeches or better speeches when he's on a teleprompter. More natural. Yeah, more, I, don't know, I yeah. don't know if we get well, more quality, but it's Well, you natural. probably get more quality because you get it. It's focused, right? Does he still do all the hand motions, though, while he's <laughs> yeah. reading? We have to have the entire show, right? You can't just have him with his hands behind his back. That'd be boring. He has to. Can you imagine the pressure of that, though? You walk into a room, half the people can't stand you, half the other half struggle with you, but like you, I guess. And then there's like eight people that won't clap. They stand up Justices every once in a while. sitting yeah. there. Well, occasionally. Generals the sitting they've there. they yelled at the president. That was yeah. an interesting time. Yeah, that was. In fact, that'll be interesting to see if somebody breaks protocol again and yells. Or fights back against the president, which, you know, you could see happening, right? Yeah, sure. They had 60 people that didn't come to his inauguration, right? So 60 Congress people. Right. So Those were the seats everyone was pointing out. It's a, it's a big day. It's a big day. Plus, it, I think it'll be kind of neat because you'll find out what – okay, so what really is – is he going to try to unify people? Is this where he's going to say something that unifies everybody? He's Maybe this is the place where he'll – Say, hey, I'm going to save the dreamers. Hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe he'll have a take a stance on immigration that will please the other half. Of wow. Them. I mean, there's a lot of maybes here. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of stuff going on. Today, all the way, also, by the way, is uh, Tooth Fairy Day. Yeah, apparently I was a day early yesterday. I had all yeah. that Tooth Fairy facts. You were all excited about the Tooth Fairy. And today was the Tooth Fairy Day, so, eh. I guess the average is like five. It depends where you live, but four to four to seven dollars is the average tooth, right? Right. Yeah, it's like five sixty something. I think is the average across the country. It's hmm. more out west, less in the Midwest. That's spoiling these kids. What do you mean? I don't. I don't ever remember getting more than a dollar. Well, yeah, you don't need more than a dollar. Yeah, but you were a kid. That was like many, many, many moons ago. Well, I'm not that old. <laughs> well, moons are only, you know, moons are not that long. I guess they are a frequent occurrence. You, um, it's also National Public Sleeping Day. Uh, 
I'm completely underslept. I can't do anything. I just, if I stand too long, I just start to fall asleep. Driving, we were talking about yesterday, driving home, crazy accident here in Utah, and, you know, people falling asleep at the wheel, people falling asleep in traffic. I fall asleep in the parking lot. Just asleep now. Oh, National Public Sleeping Day. Make sure you're getting your seven-plus hours a day of sleep. That's the noise that I make when somebody wakes me up abruptly. Hey, yo, yo. You, you make that sound? Of all I, forget, I forget the name of it, but in Japan, it's a sign of honor to, to work so hard that you fall asleep in public. Yeah, that's a crock. No, Wait. you see people just sleeping on park benches, and they tip over in the subway, and everyone just leaves them alone because they've been working hard. Was it in Japan or Korea where those, those men who were on the committee... Fell oh, asleep. Yeah. Um, was I it? want to say it was Korea. It was it Korea? But then they got. But it was like executed. a speech about not being, you know, uh, not paying attention oh, yeah. to your work yeah, and being right. more alert. And <laughs> I think some it was guy Korea. passed it out during the media. Yeah, that was um, great. Today, also, we'll be talking uh, about um, the conservative party. Because see, Donald Trump just Trump just spoke to CPAC. Yeah. Many don't think he's that conservative. No. Some would say there's the kind of the Breitbart coalition, but then there's kind of the all of the mainstreamers that didn't like him and still struggle with him, a John McCain, for example. So what's really happening to the conservative party? We will be talking about American conservatism, and uh, is it on its way out? The critique of the Democrats is they're so fractured. There's so many different groups right. and different agendas, and now people are starting to look at the Republicans. After Trump, there's so many different Fraction, you know, factions yeah. and agendas, and people are trying to figure out how do we help. I mean, Who, where do you fit? You have all this power now. Now, how do you get your agenda through when there's so many different ideas? Mm-hmm. It ain't so, easy we'll being the leader. So we'll talk about fun of American conservatism up next. Uh, but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? As we talked about, President Trump's joint address to Congress tonight expected to strike an optimistic tone as he outlines how he plans to begin a, quote, renewal of the American spirit with his economic goals and priorities. According to senior administration officials who previewed the speech to reporters, that's the theme the president will use to lay out his vision for the American people and explain how his administration will begin solving real problems for real people. He'll tell members of Congress that Americans have been waiting on help from political leaders for too long, but that now help is on the way. He will also mention... Uh, more than likely his historic electoral college win because he's done that every time he's spoken in public. So why would he change that behavior? Yeah, why start? Yeah. So, again, that should begin tonight at 9 Eastern. If you were looking forward to a Tuesday night normally scheduled program, eh, check your schedules. Ah. I go back to when I was a kid. This always messed up everything I wanted to do. (laughs) Uh, President Trump on Tuesday morning blamed in an interview with Fox and Friends. He uh, blamed former President Obama for leaks of classified information from the White House and for protests in the wake of the controversial executive order on immigration to the uh, the U.S. Trump made the comments in his interview on Fox during which he gave no evidence for his claims. No, I think that President Obama is behind it because his people are certainly behind it. And some of the leaks possibly come from that group. You know, some of the leaks, which are really very serious leaks because they're very bad in terms of national security. But I also understand that's politics. And in terms of him being behind things, 
that's politics, and it will probably continue. Hmm. It's Obama's fault. In other news, Arkansas governor on Monday set execution dates for eight inmates over a 10-day period in an attempt to resume the death penalty nearly after a 12-year hiatus in the state. So over a 10-day period, they're going to execute eight inmates. Wow. They're, I guess it's back on. I guess. Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson signed the proclamation scheduling double executions on four days in April for the eight inmates. The quick schedule appears aimed at putting the inmates to death before another one of the state's lethal injection drugs expires. And if uh, oh boy, yeah, and if carried out, would mark the first time nearly two decades a state has executed that many inmates in a month. So wait, the the injection expires like the the, chem- the, the liquid, yeah. Because well, wouldn't they, they still die anyway? Well, no. The well, well, the, you got to do it humanely. There's, the pharmaceutical companies are no longer giving them the drugs they need to execute people, so they've got to get, I the, guess, the, as many the executed as they can. The drugs they have they on can. hand have an expiration date, so they're trying to get it all in before they don't oh. have the drugs anymore. Okay, be honest though. How many times have you taken expired drugs at home? You mean this week? <laughs> That's all I take. All my drugs are expired. They're so much cheaper when they're expired. I just saw the, the headline, eight, eight in ten days. Wow, they're in a rush. They, yeah. It's like there's I hate a it fire when they sale. rush those things. Yeah. We'll see Focus. what happens. So that's coming up in, what is it, April? Yeah, so April. Yeah. So mark your calendars. It'll be a okay. big week. And finally, uh, two tourists are planning to take a trip to the moon in 2018. SpaceX founder Elon Musk announced Monday that two private citizens have paid a, the company a, quote, significant deposit to be flown around the moon. The space exploration company did not name the travelers or specifically how much they paid. The trip is expected to be about a week long, and the mission will likely lift off from Cape Canaveral in Florida at the same launching pad used for the Apollo program. The space travelers would not actually land on the moon. They would just go around the moon, go a little bit further, and then circle back around. Back to Earth. But they're going, and nobody knows how much they paid. No. But it's who was it? Somebody paid. Oh, a Russian billionaire, millionaire, paid twenty million to go. Where did he go? Oh, to the International Space Station. I think Lance Bass was the other one. Really? (laughs) So, what what would be the motivation, Matt? Why would you want to go around the moon? Well, if you've got, think about. I was thinking about this after I read that. Um, Let's just say you're Warren Buffett. You're way, Warren Buffett. Yeah, say that. I mean, by the way, Warren Buffett's going to pay a million dollars a year to anybody that can guess the final six. Anybody in his company yeah. that can guess the final 16 accurately. Okay. Of the sweet 16. Oh, okay. Yeah. A million dollars a year they win. Yeah. Forever, for the rest of their life. Right. Because so, it's next to impossible If to you've got it. that money, yeah. why wouldn't you say, okay, just I, I'll just go? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll spend 100 mil. To yeah. Go fly around. This article is several, one week. Several ideas, right? Bragging rights. Yeah, you're the coolest guy in the boardroom. A moon selfie. <laughs> I mean, seriously, who who could possibly claim to have a moon selfie? No, right. That's super cool. This For, is one of this is one of Brian Regan's better bits. The the me monster at the parties because this would be the ultimate bragging. Oh rights. yeah, you run up everybody. I landed on the moon. Right. <laughs> you need to get away from the current political climate. Yeah. Right. Check out for a week. I read an article. A guy did that. He said it was breathtaking. Right. You've already been to Bora Bora, so let's go to the moon. You're a huge fan of space. You, just, mm-hmm. you like space in general. Yeah. Or as this says, a extreme Pink Floyd fandom. Uh, the whole dark side of the moon thing. Yeah. You want to see the dark side of the moon. Yeah. I hope, hopefully, somebody tells this guy to put one of those little treasures up there so that the next time somebody goes geocaching, there's something there for him oh, to sign true. or collect. Yeah. Pay like it forward. Those little tchotchkes. <laughs> 
But where do you leave? They're not going to land on the moon. Well, They're you just going to circle the moon. Well, you well, then you can you throw it out the window. Parachute it. Parachute it down there. Just chuck it out. Well, I don't know. Wait, yeah. A lot of things seem problematic with this scenario, but but again, it it will probably expedite space tourism. Right. If you could pay a hundred million, and we have a lot of billionaires today. Apparently, I mean, just look at the cabinet. Right. And um, these people. Got what, what's a hundred million? Right. Nothing. And you've already been to every incredible vacation. Like the site. Treasury Secretary, he had he had one in a Cayman's account he forgot about apparently until the Senate <laughs> found out and yeah. they asked him about it. And he goes, "Oh, it was just an oversight." Oh, like yeah. I said a hundred million dollars. He goes, "Eh." But who doesn't have that problem? Eh. Can you imagine how frustrating it would be to get to the moon and open up that geocaching list and it's full? Oh, There's nowhere to write be. your name on that. Like, pff, what the? Why did I even come? <laughs> and your kid's going to be home like. So you're not taking me? <laughs> Dad, I'm the only one that's into space. And apparently the rocket's fully automated. Really? Right? It's just cruise control. You just sit there. For a week? Yeah. How cool would that be, though? I mean, if you don't crash and die and burn. Well, yeah, there's the explosion I part mean, there's that problem. They've had that issue with this company. Or, I mean, on the other side of the moon, you lose a little transmission, and all of a sudden it's the machine's not working, and then you're, then you're dead. Right. But you know what? If you're going to go, it's a great way to go. I mean, I mean, it beats heart attack. And if the movies are any any truth to them. Which there are. I mean, totally. Uh, evil Transformers are on the dark side of the moon. That's just oh, where that they where are. They yeah, that's, that's where, where they're, they're hanging, hanging out. out. There's a ship over there. They're just kind of dormant. And when the spaceship goes by. Boom. Electronics light it up. I think Pink Floyd's up there, too. Oh, brother. Hey, did you hear that there's uh, five new brain disorders? That are born out of the digital age. They did not exist pre-digital age. Huh. But now with, the, now with your phones, new brain disorders, according to The Week magazine, W-E-E-K. Mm-hmm. Here's a few of them. Nomo, nomophobia. Have mm-hmm. you heard of that? For missing out. No. Nomophobia is no mobile phone fear. <laughs> really? Where you actually have a fear. 73% of the respondents felt panic when they misplaced their phone. So, you know, I've had this. That's nomophobia. Where's my phone? Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I, don't, I don't actually like grab my phone and fiddle with it as much yeah. as other people do. But if it's not near me, I start looking around like, where did it go? See, in the Western cowboy days, that they had the fear of not having their gun. Where's my gun? Right. Now it's a phone. Right. Where's my phone? That's no mofo. No mofo. Hmm. No mobile phone. Oh, I thought you were trying to be hip there for a second. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, technoference, they call it. Our digital obsession might be doing more than just making us feel a bit panicky. It could also be dragging down our relationships. In 2014 study, more than half of the 143 participants said that tech devices interrupt their leisure time, conversations, meals with their significant other. It's called technoference. Hmm. We now have technoference. The phone is your phone, your Netflix, your Facebook, all of these things, your need to take a picture of everything. And Instagram it. Your need to selfie something when you're on a cliff. Technoference. It's tech. It's, it's or, or, or when you're flying around the moon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's also now the phantom ring. The phantom ring is when you feel like your phone's vibrating in your pocket, but it actually isn't vibrating in your pocket. Wait a minute. Does this have anything to do with Phantom the comic? No, because he has a ring that lights no. up. No, isn't that right, Terry? That's geeky. He does. He does. No, this is the this is like when people would lose an arm and they have phantom pains in their right. hand or their right. arm. 
it's a phantom ring. You're you think your phone is actually buzzing and vibrating you when it's not. Hmm. That, by the way, is a sign that you are messed up. If you have technoference, nomophobia, and phantom rings. What about the phone rings and like the entire room dives for their phone, but it's just one person's phone? That's Ooh, embarrassing. That's that is that happened, that's real too. I was at a thing over the weekend. Someone's phone rang, and everybody like reached for their phone like instantly. Yeah, they, what are they, they? Isn't that called um, insecurity? It, no, it, what's it called when we all? Oh, it's Pavlovian almost. It is. It almost is. I started uh, drooling. It was crazy. There's another issue called cyber <laughs> cyberchondria. Hypochondria is not a new disorder, but the nudist. Is not a new oh, okay. disorder. Oh, I thought we went somewhere else. There. But the internet <laughs> has taken to has taken it to a next level. In the broadest definition, cyberchondria refers to people who research and diagnose their own illnesses online. Yes, you go to WebMD. Yeah, and everything leads to cancer. I've got cancer. So, is this the same as googling your name? Why? No, I don't know. This is googling your disease. This doesn't have anything to do with vanity. No, this is sickness. This is hypochondriacs. But now you do it on, on. Now you don't even need to go to a doctor. You can now figure out what your disease is or disorder is, even if you may not have one. Can you? Do they have it yet on YouTube where you can look up operations and operate on yourself? No, not yet. To save some, you don't want that, that pesky copay. They get you every time with that <laughs> I'll copay. Do this. Well, now, yeah, now everyone can remove that ingrown hair. Hey, um, do the last one is the Truman Show delusion. Do you, do you ever have that spooky feeling that someone's watching you? In the 1998 film The Truman Show, Truman Burbank had that feeling too. Only his turned out not to be true. Or his turned out to be true. Now do you sit there on your phone thinking, someone's spying on me? Well, the government. And now you, you can be tracked by your spouse. So she'll say, where are you? And I'm like... Just at my office, and she'll say, "No, you're not." Gotcha. You're at the. You're getting a shake. I'm like, no, I'm not. Getting fries. My phone's getting a shake. There you have it. Uh, five new disorders: the Truman Show delusion, <laughs> cyberchondriacs, the Phantom Ring. Did you hear something? Nomophobia or is that technoference? Just, did you have the feeling that somebody was singing, singing to you? Key? Absolutely. Off key. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hear it, but yeah, totally. I assumed that if somebody was singing, it was beautiful and on key. Yeah, not even close. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Sarah Jarman will be joining us, talking about American conservatism. What's happening to uh, to the conservative movement in the United States with Trump leading it? Is it different than if uh, McCain had led it, or if um, Mitt Romney had led it? We'll talk up next, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, last week, the annual CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, met together in Washington uh, with Steve Bannon. Reince Priebus was there. Kellyanne Conway spoke. Also, President Trump addressed the group uh, as well. And, you know, it's CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. It's it's the what we would historically have seen as as extremely conservative uh, group of of people and every political 
uh, aspirant, everybody that wants to win the GOP nomination usually would go through CPAC to uh, to be crowned that position. Um, in contrast, though, Trump, if you remember, skipped out of the conference last year. His attendance this year now is that he's president shows that there may be some shifting values in the conservative movement. So we asked Sarah Jarman to join us. She and the late BYU professor, P, uh, Dr. Brent Gilchrist, helped to, to decipher the inner workings of the American conservatism, conservative movement in her book, uh, The Elephants on the Rampage, Elephants on the Rampage, The Eclipse of American Conservatism. And uh, Sarah now is in law school here at Brigham Young University. Thanks for being with us, Sarah. Well, thanks for having me, Matt. Boy, this uh, this is quite a book, quite an endeavor. Um, talk about what's going on. How do you see the political, the conservative movement in the United States today? Um, I find it very disheartening. Um, the rise of Trump essentially has brought about this populist movement that has detracted, I think, from authentic conservatism as we have known it in the past. Um, it, it represents a far-right movement, and I think that it's very destabilizing for the current political situation. No, no, explain it because some people may not know – I mean the conservative – party was made up of different factions, right? Different types right. of conservatism. And mm-hmm. so you're saying you're thinking Trump is, uh, I guess, being kind of more of a nationalist party, a yes. populist party. It's yes. kind of it's it's paying more attention to the ultra conservative branch of conservative movement. Right. So the far right yeah. um, and authentic conservatism, as originally defined, was was created by Edmund Burke. Um, and he basically protested any sort of extreme movement or uh, far-right agenda, whether it be actually on the left or the right. He advocated a moderate approach to politics. Mm. And that balance, that consistency, that, that basis on tradition uh, is authentic conservatism and is what, is what we're lacking. Yeah. Is it – did the conservatives move – so conservative because the Democrats were moving so progressive and liberal. Mm-hmm. Is it is that what's going on? So when when President Obama's in and 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 they pull more liberal, is it natural that the Republican Party would pull more conservative? Yes, I I actually argue that it does, and I I believe that the trend actually moving towards the more the more far right has been going on since the late sixties, as I talk about mm. in my book. Yeah. Um, and in reaction to that, yes, has become more far right. When in reality, conservatives provide need to provide a more of a balancing force and should actually be more of an anchor rather yeah. than reactionary. Because. Um, by by uh, Edmund Burke's approach, we should be moderately value. We should be value based, I guess. Yes. So, so how would you define the difference between uh, right wing conservative versus just a moderate conservative? Uh, so a moderate conservative is actually not opposed to change. They just go about change a lot slower. They take more time to evaluate the situation, whether it's legislation nationally or locally, um, whereas in the far right, it's it's quicker. It's a lot more progressive. It happens faster. It's based more on emotional reasoning and appeal to to the people um, in through rhetoric and sound bites. Uh-huh. Not it's not as thoughtful. It's 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 very different. Because is that it's interesting because John McCain couldn't win 
and even draw out the base of the conservative party. Uh, Mitt Romney couldn't draw out the base. No. And yet um, yet Donald Trump was able to do it mainly because he had the the base of conservatives. Right. And then I guess some of the more moderates swing were, were swinging over to to help him. Right. Well, I think um, a lot of a lot of if, if the moderates did swing more towards Trump, it was more of a reaction to their anger with Washington mm-hmm. and and sort of the and, and, and some of the more elitist base. And I think out of anger more than reason or rationale, right. rationality, did they actually make the, the correct decision. I think a lot of them are rethinking their decision. I think people are wondering and questioning, is he – because the, the funny thing about it that I've always thought was interesting about Donald Trump is he doesn't really have an ideology. It doesn't no. seem like. His ideology is almost pragmatism. Whatever you can do to get elected, mm-hmm. whatever you can do to stay in, whatever you can do to make something happen. So it's it just – I find it interesting. Um, I mean I'm glad a conservative – I'm glad the GOP is has the chance to be in charge. Mm-hmm. But I'm also – concerned because it's not necessarily based on values anymore. It doesn't seem like. It seems like it's almost based more on a counter to Obama Mm -hmm. and and just – but not kind of moderation in immigration, not moderation. I mean I love the idea that change is supposedly going to take place, but change even in moderation would Mm -hmm. have been great. Right. No, and and you can't build a movement off of of hatred or a lack of of – principles or ideas if you don't have something comprehensive from what you're working for. Uh, Movements that work off of hate or or emotion only last for so long. And I think that Trump is starting to realize this as he's putting his agenda Mm -hmm. together um, in the past 40 days. Well, you know, healthcare is a lot more complicated than – did you hear that quote? (laughs) Yeah. It's like surprising how complicated it is. (laughs) But it's also complicated because – He's not even – he has to work with Republicans from all different kinds of conservatism. Yes. And I, I don't think he realized how complicated it was going to be yeah. when, he was, when he was running for office. And there are a lot of different conservative-based groups and there's, you know, there's progressive conservatives, there's libertarian conservatives and he is having a very difficult time unifying these various different groups. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he approaches the situation going forth in the next couple of years. Are we? It, go mm-hmm. ahead. No, go ahead. No, because if he's not able to unify these groups, I actually think that you'll see the emergence of a, of a strong third party at a point. Really? Really? I, yeah. You think that could emerge? Oh, I definitely. Um, I think just being a millennial and talking amongst my millennial friends yeah. – um, a lot of them are very disheartened with both sides mm-hmm. and have told me that if they don't see some sort of change within the next you know, while, that they would advocate a strong third-party movement. Boy, how powerful would that be if it really came out of the millennials? Because right. the, everyone assumes the millennials don't – they care, but they may not vote. Exactly. But if all of a sudden you become a major voting block and a moderate major voting block, that's yeah. not – but I mean I, I guess that's – it's it's almost we are so reactive that we're not principled. Yes. We're, and we're reactive on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's mad that a Trump gets elected, but Trump is definitely representing a group of people whose voices weren't being heard. Right. And nobody seemed to care about that. Right. Well, and I think uh, the people need to realize the power they have. Yeah. I mean, and Trump's election revealed that. A lot of people thought Clinton was going to win, and the people – 
really came through. And, yeah. And they showed exactly what they were thinking. And I think with uh, you know with with great power comes a lot of responsibility. And I think people need to be aware that even though they are individuals, they they do as a as a group have a lot of power. Hmm. And and so being aware of you know what you listen to on Facebook or Twitter and and a lot of the the social media outlets that we have today, I think is really important in, yeah. in discerning between. What is actually, you know, sound bites and what's actually not? Yeah. What What would you say? Because we, I get people commenting on the show all the time. They don't like it because we we joke about Donald Trump a lot, President Trump a lot. <laughs> but there's really a lot to joke about. Yeah. Really. But um. But I again, as a conservative, I'm a conservative. Right. I I wanted, I wanted Mitt Romney. I wanted um. I wanted John McCain. Um. I didn't. I I had trouble with Trump because of values. He didn't mm-hmm. seem he was saying things about women I couldn't tolerate. He was saying things about minorities I couldn't tolerate. I mm-hmm. couldn't believe. What do you say uh, to the people though that still felt he they're underrepresented? Mm-hmm. Middle America, white collar or blue collar mm-hmm. white American males who haven't had a job, their cities are crumbling around them. Right. Um what why is it important that regardless of who it is, Trump aside or anybody, that we still have to focus on the values, the principles, not just not just, you know, let someone win today? Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. I think that um, I, I agree with you. I think that those individuals, those communities, they weren't being represented. Right. I mean, I, I 100% and they, agree and they with you. Were, and they were actually being – Totally ignored, like almost the opposite of not even very much so. Very much so. I think, um, you know, just speaking as being someone's at, at times for different reasons has maybe been ignored or, or, or whatever. I think um, taking that time, though, I mean, taking that time to think about how you're going to react is mm. very crucial. And I think a lot of these groups reacted out of anger, and 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 that is. As I mentioned earlier, yeah. ultimately won't won't win the day, and I and I agree they weren't heard, but at the same time, I think it's important for them to then speak out and create their own sort of yeah, system, make a new way. Yes, and that's what I what I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier when I was referencing third parties. I yeah. think that um, yes, it's you against the system, but I still think that if you have as as we've seen, if you have enough people. I think that you can create a different movement or a different mm-hmm. approach, and I really think that a lot of a lot of people miss that opportunity um, yeah. to. And, and we did see that, like in states like Utah, for example, there was a huge th- third party turnout. Yeah. But um, you know, I think that it it will just take time. But I think if people put more of their efforts towards like uh, building a moderate base, I mm-hmm. do think that we can overcome some of these. And it was such a states. weird election because. Trump went in and literally knocked off one by one every other conservative. Yeah. I mean, really. And there was a gambit. There was, a, I mean, a lot of them. Some were trying to pull the Christian right, and yes. some were trying to be the more moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, and he literally single-handedly knocked off every single one of them. <laughs> and then it almost seems like it was too late to create a really strong other. Party, yes, because but they but so that was I think the genius of Trump. Really, yeah. it was genius, and yet, um, and I think like tonight's a really important moment because he could show more moderation, correct, and 
what I think it would do is, again, it doesn't mean he can't have all of the same goals. Mm-hmm. He just needs to lose some of the rhetoric. Yeah. And but it almost like needs he needs to keep the rhetoric to keep the base. Yes. Is 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 that the truth? Are the conservative ultra or the the right wing conservative are they that reactive that all you have to do is just use rhetoric to keep them engaged? Um, I think if you, I don't know, leaders set the tone for yeah. how you know how the people engage, and I think that if he you keeps using rhetoric, I think they'll keep responding to that rhetoric. But he's leading them. I mean, mm-hmm. they they do you know they do follow him, and I think that if he decides to change it a little bit, you know, even even slightly, I think that they would follow him. Yeah, but I, do too. I mean. Of course, he'd have to do it with tact. He can't mm-hmm. become, you know, John McCain or Mitt Romney right. overnight. But um, I really believe that he would still actually maintain some of that base. Uh, because- well, and, he, and he might pick up more moderates yes. that are like, finally. Right. Because right. even if you want a stronger border, um, he's getting into now the weeds where he realizes borders are hard and a wall <laughs> is difficult. And it. It's costly to do health care. These things are complicated. And in a weird way, he also seems to be even offending um, Paul Ryan and others that are now looking at him. And, and that's going to create a tension right. that he probably doesn't need. Yeah. And if he and like I said, if he he has a chance early on to to prevent a lot of the alien or to at least fix some of the alienation that he's created within his party and with the, the public at large. And if he can't do that, I he's going to have a very difficult presidency. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. This is crazy. OK, we'll, we'll take a break and come back, continue talking with Sarah Jarman. Sarah is the author or co-author of the book Elephants on the Rampage, The Eclipse of American Conservatism. She wrote it with the late BYU professor, uh, Dr. Brent Gilchrist, who um, – passed away last year, sadly. So um, honored to have Sarah with us continue the discussion about the conservative movement. It's it's more than you think, folks. And to understand the background might help you uh, understand how to follow your new leader. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about the conservative movement with author Sarah Jarman. Sarah is um, the author, co-author of the book Elephants on the Rampage, The Eclipse of American Conservatism. She um, she wrote the book with the late professor, Dr. Brent Gilchrist, here from Brigham Young University. And uh, Sarah is also uh, currently a law student at BYU, um, J. Reuben Clark uh, School of Law, and apparently you know, is going to go work in D.C. soon. Yeah. Are you um, sure you want to do that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sell your soul to the dark side. Yeah. Um, no, I'm doing an internship in D.C. in New York this summer for, that, for law school. So That's cool. Yeah. Um, this uh, The book, Elephants on the Rampage, really conservatives, they're dominating at the state level. They're mm-hmm. dominating uh, state legislatures, yep. state governors. Mm-hmm. They're, do- they're dominating um, in Congress, in Senate. It looks like a Supreme Court nominee could probably yep. go through, maybe even another one they keep saying within the next four years, too. Yep. Um, they have the presidency. Mm-hmm. And yet, again, it almost seems like – because th- that seems like you got the world at your you know, at your hands. But the, it, it also seems like 
it's not working very well. Yeah, no, I I agree. And I think this is a, a crucial moment for Republicans to determine if they want to consider, cons- like, continue carrying the conservative banner. Because conservatism is a necessary element. And if they aren't willing to carry that banner, then you're going to have to hand over conservatism to a different a different entity. That's and, right. And, and I think you can look at this opportunity, a lot of this divisiveness and questioning as, as to what republicanism is. As a as an opportunity to really redefine it, mm-hmm. um, or f- it will fall apart, and and w- these next four years will, I think, determine that. What made the what made the right wing conservatives so angry with the GOP? Was it because they they got angry with Bush, and was it because of fiscal conser? Because there are fiscal conservatives, right? They're religious conservatives, right? What else are um, there? I'm, there's progressive conservatives, libertarian conservatives. I mean, there's a lot of different branches of conservatism. Um, but I would say, well, the alt-right or what essentially Trump is advocating, they're very – actually, one of their main platforms is heavily anti-immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge aspect, actually, of alt-right movements. Um, and President Bush and a lot of his predecessors actually were, you know – very strong against immigration. Yeah, right. um, and that's one thing, one one policy thing. But I think um, they want – I mean they want something stronger than a moderate. They want something stronger than somebody – they want stronger language. And, yeah. and Bush didn't offer that. No. I mean you, Trump Bush offers spoke that. spoke Spanish. Bush – yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, and so they see a lot of those things, that, that um, bravado, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, pre- in President Trump, and that appeals to them. And uh, and movement politics, whether it is on the left or the right, right. They, they go for that bravado. Right. Well, you see it. You see a ton of movement politics on the left. Yes. And they have so many different constituencies they're trying to please. Yes. Which seems to make the left's job kind of hard because unifying – and you saw it with the women marching. Mm-hmm. Unifying the group is hard because there's so many issues right. that they're all kind of marching for, not right. one unified issue. Right. And, and I think that – Conservatives need to actually bring in a lot. There's a lot of people who have different opinions and social issues, um, and especially as, as you know, just with the the new era and a lot of things coming up. Um, I think that if conservatives actually went back more to that authentic conservatism, more of an emphasis on an approach rather than making it about social issues, I actually think they would bring yeah. in a huge. Huge consistency, constituency, and could be more unified. And what do you mean by an approach? Like, I mean, a conservative approach, a more moderate yes. approach, not so progressive. Right, right. And it's a, it's, it's, it is an approach. It's not. Conservatives are against any sort of actually ideology, or and that's what people are yeah. confused with is. The Tea Party movement was essentially the catalyst that brought about someone like Donald Trump. And and it is the antithesis of what actually conservatism originally was. Was about, yeah. Exactly. And and so, you know, you have to you have to we have to start pulling away from that and going back more to, you know, the Lincoln era type of, you know, republicanism or, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, you know, these types of conservatives that have honestly been forgotten, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and, and their name is brought up and used as, you know, like I'm like Ike or I'm like – I mean people compare Trump to Eisenhower because Eisenhower had a – had a lot of – had fewer politicians, more business right. people in his cabinets. He had success. It was about change. It was about – 
Right, and those are generals. Right, 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 right. I think sometimes people do more of a superficial analysis, though, with with those things. And there's a deeper conservative thing that, uh, or uh, the essence of conservatism, we're no longer living, which would be keeping the status. Quo. Right. Well, and it would be preserving tradition. Mm-hmm. That is essentially That's the base of, as, of, of what a true conservative is, is. Conserving tradition. Exactly. What we, you know, what we have. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and I want to emphasize this, it's not an opposition to change. Like, if, if conservatives see that there's a problem, they're willing to fix it. They just want to sit on it a little bit longer right. and think about it. And, and fix it, but, and, but then fix it with... Not just rhetoric and yes. not extreme and not reactive, but what's right. the real fix to immigration? Right. I mean, and, yeah. and obviously there are, are so many complicated questions that, you know, can't be answered with one a soundbite. But that's the problem is people want a simple answer mm-hmm. to, to questions that actually need to be discussed in legislatures. And people need to be involved in those discussions and they take time. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that people are willing to to let some of those these these bills and these conversations play out, I think that they want answers now. Can you give us an example? And maybe it's hard because it's a it would be a person. But where do we see uh, true conservatism and where do we see it working? Where uh, do we see it happening? I would actually say in smaller communities in the in the in, yeah, in locally, maybe. locally. Yeah. Um, I would say a lot of the true conservatism we see now is not seen. And that's kind of what I, I wanted to do with my book is bring that voice, that that moderate voice that that works in communities um, more to a national forefront like we have had in the past, um, because I think that. Actually, a lot of these like local, you know, like areas where conservatism really is working is what is keeping a lot of um, a lot of politics running. But mm. people, I don't think, realize it because they're quiet. Yeah. <laughs> Moderates are, you know, and people who are more into pondering about things or, or, or letting things kind of happen and really assess and think about things aren't usually the ones who are giving the big speeches in two seconds. No, right. Exactly. And they're, they're behind the scenes. But we've always needed then that the the yin and the yang of conservative and liberal yes. pulling against each other. Yes. And then in the middle, we create healthy change, ideally. Yes. Exactly. But now we're we're now have extremes pulling to extremes. Yeah. And we get nothing but either the system has to break and then one extreme can run for a while. Yes. and Or vice versa. Well, yeah. And, and I, can't, I really thought about political destabilization after – my family lived in Russia and Germany for a period of time. Oh, wow. And that's actually where I wanted to understand how political systems fall apart. So I did a lot of research actually at Cambridge and at BYU on Russian and German political systems during the 1940s. Mm. And it was really interesting to see some of the comparisons because one was a fascist regime yeah. and the other was like a communist regime. And But yet what struck me out of both of those regimes is that the cause of both of their – the collapse in the, in the 1920s and in 1917 was – Destabilization was the polarization. Was it really? Yeah. That's what destroyed – Literally. It was Ah. the polarization. It was extremist thought on both the left and the right that created this pull towards both directions, leaving everyone in the middle stranded. Crazy. Okay. We've only got a couple minutes left. What advice – if you – if President Trump called you in and sat you down and said, okay, so I want to get to this moderate view – of conservatism back to mm-hmm. the real principle. What what advice would you give him 
and really any of the followers mm-hmm. of Trump, or really any of us, to to create a moderate conservative approach. What advice would you give? I would say read. Read a lot of different sources and be prepared to have some of your ideas challenged. Um, the only way that you're going to get to moderation is when you look at both sides. And until you're willing to look at both sides and recognize legitimacy in both conservatives and, and the liberal side of things, you won't be able to to appeal to that to that mm-hmm. base. And and I it's very simple, but it requires a change in how you read things or how you respond to things. And I would just say, you know, being willing to see things from the other side is what I would say to him. Yeah. Because he's he's not, and You'll I think, like gather the data because there's yeah. real data, and it doesn't mean again you if you can be super strong on borders and immigration right. and safety, and still take into account the whole story. Exactly. No, and 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 I think that's it's just more of a change of thought. Yeah. Policy can change, but if you can't change how you're thinking, it doesn't that's true. Matter. In fact, next hour we're talking with a Yale psychiatrist about emotion mm-hmm. and how it clouds everything. <laughs> it clouds your interpretation. It clouds the data you gather. It clouds everything. And it's one thing to stir someone's emotion, which is what we see our political parties doing. They try to stir emotion. Right. But it doesn't mean it's in principle. Exactly. And yet everybody then starts beating everyone up thinking it's done with principle. But it's not. And I think even Trump got elected with people believing that, well, but you got to fight for the Supreme Court. Right. And you do, except you also have to have principles or – Next time you won't get it. Right. And, it's and just, it won't it will be someone completely opposite of what this country needs. Right. It's the means the means justify the ends. That's it. Oh, Machiavelli. Okay. Good stuff. Well, Sarah, we appreciate you. Sarah Jarman is her name. You're gonna want to go uh, find her book, Elephants on the Rampage, The Eclipse of American Conservatism. You can find it on Amazon. Easy book to to get to and read. Plus, uh, we'll put up just a, there's an outline that uh, Sarah, a PDF that Sarah makes available of her dissertation or mm-hmm. her thesis, yep. which is huge. Good reading as well. We'll put that up on uh, our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show. Stick with us, folks. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Moderation, moderation. Again, I am a conservative, and yet it doesn't mean I I can't have values and principles and beliefs, and it doesn't mean that the ends justifies the means. Moderation. If we kill ourselves by going extreme now, we will pay for it with others going extreme over us later. So let's be careful. Let's be careful. Moderation, moderation, moderation. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Tuesday to you and happy Tooth Fairy Day. Today's the day. You uh, you help facilitate and, uh, you know, you, today's the day you, you support the Great Tooth Fairy Movement. That uh, wonderful nymph or fairy that slowly rips teeth from your children's face. Whoa. My kid, my kid went to the dentist yesterday. Yeah, how'd it go? He has five loose teeth. 
Holy cow, payday. Yeah. yeah. Five times five thirty-six, five dollars and thirty-six cents. The average. He's going to be rolling in it. Right. Have you been loosening his teeth at night? Because no. you were talking about how he couldn't get a toy at the store until he I, lost. I, d- I did suspect maybe he was doing it because he wants to get a toy, and that's how you get. That's how he gets well, any money. At he's going to be able to get quite a few after. Well, actually, he probably just in. be one. Really, one yeah. big one. It's not even that big. Jeez. It's just a little stuffed animal. I remember having to raise $3. Was it $3? Maybe probably $2 to buy a Matchbox car when I was a kid. Right. And it was the biggest. And I remember I found the money, got on my bike, rode up to the store. Oh, it was such a big moment. What I'm going to do is I'm going to set the one toy he wants next to the five Hot Wheels he can buy. See what he wants. Oh, you're a devil. So yeah. most kids, you walk in on them playing a video game when they should be sleeping or reading a book while they should be sleeping. You walk in on your kid, and he's uh, got a pair of pliers in his hands and yeah. he's going to town. <laughs> he's like, nothing, Dad. I don't know what's going on. Do your, My kids, do they come to you to pull the tooth? No. No, mine either. I always talk about it. I go, come here, let me rip that out of your head. And he, always, so he doesn't come to me with those types of well, concerns. And I don't do it, but there, if there's that tooth that just keeps like blowing in the wind... Right. Like every time he exhales, it flaps. Yeah. That tooth's got to come out. The last one, his friends sort of dared him to pull it out. Yeah. I just said, let me just, so. I, I'll just, let me just touch it. I want to see. And then I just popped it right I sh- out. I show him the videos on YouTube of parents like tying the string around the tooth yeah. and they tie it to the bumper of a car yeah. and then take off. Or a drone. Yeah. He's like, nope, not doing that. That one's crazy, <laughs> daddy. Yeah, that's good. Ah, oh, tooth fairy day. Ah, oh, where would we be without that tooth fairy? Hey, and don't be a lazy tooth fairy. Mm. I mean, not not that you can be, but step up. Right. If a kid loses his tooth, you got to get it on the day he puts it under the pillow. I know people in my house that would wait days because wow. they kept forgetting to tell the tooth fairy. Oh, huh? those those things start to s- smell after a couple of days, <laughs> so you got to get on that. It's also National Public Sleeping Day. We all need to commit to get more sleep. In public. In public. I will be sleeping, just so you both know, at about 10.30, I will be taking my first nap. Nice. And about noon 30, I'll be taking my second. So if you will both steer clear. We're at a college. I bet you the library is a popular location. Oh, I used to take a nap here when I, I was at BYU. When I was at college, I did sleep in the you library. You go find a corral. Is that what they call them? A corral? A corral, corral? And then I just put my head down, just sleep in it. I was in a class here. Where a kid wasn't even trying to hide the fact that he was sleeping. He laid down in the aisle, used his backpack as a pillow. Really? It was the rudest thing I've ever That's seen. So rude. <laughs> Holy cow. Wow. Did you hear that? Uh, Not on the air. McKenna just admitted something. She's clocked out, so it's all I, legit. I didn't, I didn't hear the clocking had, out part. She I clocked just heard out of work. She slept she at had to work. Take a nap. Don Shaline, did you hear that? No, but she clocked out. She, she clocked out. She was off the clock. Work. The funny thing about McKenna is she, A, admitted it. B, she clocked out. The rest of us just fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, we just keel over. <laughs> it's, uh, but it's like it's work-influenced sleep, right? The well, reason you're tired is because of work. That's so, why I face the door. Right. A lot of people face have their back to the door. But I face the door so I, just, I can't fall asleep. I just think you don't want people seeing your computer. No, actually, I don't want people. I, I will sleep if I turn my back. Wow. Well, so it's, it's when, like a public shaming. I, I always need a nap right after my show. Mm. So, and I've yet to find a place to take one. Terry and I don't get paid time off, but I'm thinking we ought to get paid time sleeping. 
No. You, just, you, you just can don't you know, clock out. You can sleep as much as you want at home, and you get paid because you get revitalized. You get life is good. But could you imagine if your employer decided, okay, we're going to nip this sleeping thing in the bud. I'm going to start paying you to sleep. Oh. We would all be so much more productive. That'll happen. And happy. Someday that will happen. It really will. I promise. Because people are going to be so out of shape that they're going to need help. Uh, Dr. Frank Ninavaji will be joining us later, too. Frank is uh, one of my favorite psychiatrists. He's from Yale. He's a child psychiatrist, and he he is just super smart, and uh, I feel like I learn every time he comes on the show. Hmm. So he'll be with us today, and we'll be talking about uh, values and our values in society. It's pretty powerful. I mean, we, we talk about conservative, liberal, progressive, all these different terms we use, but what are your real values? And uh, those are important to get to know, especially because something has to manage your emotion. Right. And it might be good if you had values to manage it by. So we'll get to that fun. Uh, plus also um, crazy stories. What happens – as a kid, did you ever put like a, a message in a bottle? Did you ever do that? I tied something to a ocean? balloon. Did you? Yeah. And then you wonder – you have this vision of where it's going to go. Right. Well, we have a cool story about a kid that put uh, – a toy, a toy um, launched a toy boat on the on in the Atlantic Ocean and it in South Carolina and it ended up in Great Britain. Yeah, cool story. We'll get to that fun stuff. But first, to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the country? The top Republican and Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee gave sharply conflicting views on Monday of their bi- their panel's bipartisan investigation into the Russian efforts to influence the presidential election, raising questions about whether they will be able to work together on the inquiry. The committee's chairman, Representative uh, Devin Nunez, uh, Republican of California, said that he has been briefed on the intelligence community's assessment of the Russians and contends that there was no evidence... Uh, anyone from the Trump campaign had communicated with the government in Moscow. Yet the committee's ranking member, Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, said that it was way too early to rule out ties between Russia and the president's association uh, because the panel had not yet been provided with any evidence collected by the intelligence and law enforcement agencies. So in the same panel, two opinions, both of them are, you know, important. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. President Trump admitted he was floored by how com- complicated the health care system is when speaking Monday at the National Governors Association meeting at the White House. We're going to repeal and replace Obamacare and get states the flexibility that they need to make the end result really, really good for them. Very complicated issue. We have come up with a solution that's really, really I think very good. Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. Huh? And yeah. statutorily and for budget purposes, as you know, we have to do health care before we do the tax cut. The tax cut is going to be major. It's going to be simple. And the whole tax plan is wonderful. But I can't do it until we do health care. So what, what hmm. do you think the odds are that the taxes will be simple? Well, uh, I think they would have been done by now if it were simple. Right. But I'm, I'm going to bet immigration also he's going to find out it's a complicated issue. But he's saying the health care is complicated. Even though he said that we'll have it in like 24 hours right. maybe. Get this thing just flipped. It's right. gone. We'll start a new program. Who, well, who knew? Well, he didn't apparently. Well, apparently every governor knew 
Every congressperson knew. The past president knew. Everybody. I knew. Anyway. Yeah, so. It's hard. Interesting comments. Well, but you know what? What's great, honestly? Now they're at least giving you information. So yes. don't expect taxes, mm-hmm. uh, tax break, or tax restructuring until you get a, the, the ACA thing taken right. care of. And there's more information out there. It just... The president doesn't sit down and say it right. because yeah. I think that would be boring if he just went through a whole lit line item well, that's list tonight. of things. Tonight he'll go through it. Maybe. Hopefully. Maybe they'll have more detail about the new health plan. At least 16 Jewish community centers in a day school across the U.S. reported receiving bomb threats Monday. The latest in a recent uptake of anti-Semitic acts. The threats extended across 11 states with threats confirmed. Now here's the list. Maryland, Indiana, Virginia, North Carolina, Florida, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Michigan, and Alabama. Mm. The FBI and the Department of Justice have launched investigations. Trump, President Trump has promised this horrible anti-Semitism is going to stop. Yeah, it's got to stop. It's not acceptable. No. Um, and finally, the White House meals, the food, the kitchens. Yeah. Right? They're, su- they're, they're a subject to celebration and scrutiny, ranging from Eleanor Roosevelt's famous uh, inedible kitchen Apparently, she just had horrible food. To Michelle Obama's homegrown fares as she had the garden, right? Yeah, out, right, out right. On the, the lawn there. But one month into President Trump's stay at the at 1600 Pennsylvania, First Lady Melania Trump has said little publicly about what she expects or wants from the cooking and entertaining staff. This is from the New York Times. Without a hands-on First Lady, they're just pumping out food and seeing what the reaction is. This is from a uh, presidential food writer, Adrian Miller. Hmm. I don't know that was a thing. Yeah, it's it's Steve Miller. Isn't Miller one of his top aides? <laughs> Could be. It's his President friend. Trump's culinary preferences are thought to include. This came out in an interview. Yeah, yeah. He uh, went to Trump Tower, or no, he went to the Trump Hotel, right? And ate at their well, their restaurant there, and he had steak with ketchup. Mm. So he's a well done steak. Make sure that thing's really dead. They say it's so dead, it's like it it rattles on the plate. And then he throws ketchup on it, so he gets a piece of charcoal. And puts ketchup on it. Wow. And that's what he eats. Um, and an abundance of fast food. And not the spinach and broccoli of oh, President Obama. I would Obama. love. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be the greatest to have your own personal chef? Because you really could lose weight. Right. I grew if up. all they brought you was healthy stuff. I grew up eating burnt steak with ketchup. Did you? That was kind of a staple in our home. I never, I've never put ketchup on a steak. That's yeah. a That's a hamburger thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Seems- but again – He's consistent, right? He's he he loves and he wants well, Trump steaks. But they said the other issue is Melania being a model. Mm-hmm. She's more fruit and water. Yeah, right. So fruit and water. That's not really something you have to yeah. dress up too much. So yeah, the food at the White House. They're like, what are we supposed to do? And they're like, yeah, just make some food. So they have been. That's because they had a they had the governor's dinner. Yeah, and that was something they they put I mean, out. And so I bet, I'm sure the made. guy eats a lot of like chicken breasts. Like, don't you think? Because that's what you usually get at every. So when I speak a lot, I'm right. having chicken everywhere I go. Do you want the fish or do you want the chicken? You always ah, get the chicken because you know about the never fish. Never know about the fish. But then the chicken's like rubbery and chewy. Yeah. And, yeah. The fish in Iowa, mm. not known for good fish. Yeah. Landlocked states that have fish, you're like, I don't know. Do I need to eat that, <laughs> that salmon? But mm-hmm. the fish sticks in Iowa. Oh, the best. Whoa. Are you kidding me? Totally. That's deep right. And the dino nuggets in oh. from basically anywhere, you know, anywhere in in the intermediate middle of the United States. This is a cool story about a, a parenting tip I wanted to give you both um, as your kids are at that, uh, you Tender know, age. They're, yours are young. So 
you may not need to go this extreme, but I experience this with my older kids. You ask them to do stuff and then they don't do it. Yes. But they then they then go away to school. Like oh. they were supposed to do something. They come back for the weekend. And you're like, hey, can you just make sure you do this before you go? And then they go back to school. So a mom in Pennsylvania um, sent a reminder to her child to take out the trash because she had asked her son to do so. So she and he didn't do it. So she sent him two boxes to Westminster College in New Wilmington last month. One box contained food and other goodies. The others contained garbage. Hmm. The garbage that she asked him to take out. Oh. When he called to ask whether that was a mistake, Cox's mother, Connie, told him, no, 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 that's the trash you were supposed to take out during your last visit home. Oh. Remember? Okay, yeah. When yeah. we wrote you checks, bought you clothes, took care yeah. of you, re-upped your car insurance... All that. Remember, we just said, hey, can you take that garbage out? And you're like, sure, Mom. And then you left without doing it. So I just thought I'd send you the garbage. Hmm. She thought it was a hysterical prank. No. Is that, is that effective parenting? That's that's effective parenting. Nice. So you're, then you're showing them, hey, we can laugh. So then he, in a return package, uh, sent her all his laundry. Yeah. Can you do these, Mom? Yeah, Mom, can you do them and send them back? It's a really expensive lesson, I'm sure. Right, because shipping. Shipping garbage. My- but how funny would that be? My dad would rake up the junk in our room if we didn't clean our room. And With a real just, rake? Yeah, just scoop it right into a garbage bag. I can't remember what if we had to... What would you do with the bag? Well, I can't remember if we had to pay to get it back or if we could just take the stuff from the bag and yeah. put it away. I know a child psychologist that one day just brought in all of this wood and built a box for a family evening, a family home evening they were having. Mm. And all the kids were helping him, and he built this box, and he put hinges on it, and then he put a lock on it. And all the kids were amazed by it, and nobody knew what it was. They just built it. And then during the week, anything that was left out, he just put in the box. Quick lesson. Their tennis shoes, put in the box. The basketball that was left out, put in the box. Or doll, baby doll, put in the box. And the next Monday, when they had family home evening... Everyone's like, uh, they were all frustrated because they couldn't find their stuff and everything had been missing. And he opened the box. And then they had a really big discussion about what it's going to take to get their stuff back. That's cruel. And effective, they, though. And they all, they all learned very quickly that we put our stuff away. They also learned that if you take your brother's ball out of his room and put it out in the living room, mom will put it in the box and he won't be able to get it. <laughs> yeah. Parenting 101. Isn't that great? <sighs> Breaking children. <laughs> what we need is a child psychiatrist. Uh, oh, let's, yeah. Don't you think that would be a good idea? Let's take a break. We'll come back. And Dr. Frank Ninavaggi will be joining us. He is a child psychiatrist from Yale University. Today he's going to be talking to us about our values. So when you think about your values, what are they? And how can they help you? get through this crazy thing we call life. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Everyone knows that values are vital to an individual life, individual's life and to, and to our society, right? But um, what are values? What exactly would you 
call a value? And why are they so important to us? Assistant Clinical Professor of Child Psychiatry at Yale University, Dr. Frank Ninavaji, says that it's important to figure out what our values are in order to start uh, our year off and have, a, and have a healthy life, to have a healthy tool to make decisions to live by. He joins us today. Um, he's one of my favorite guests to come on from Connecticut to teach us what values are. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, thank you for being with us again. You're perfectly welcome, and uh, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be invited and to be in with you and speak with you. Oh, uh, you're the best. This, um, this we we throw out the word values a lot, don't we? Like family values, our religious values, our political values. But how do you define it, Frank? What is a value? Well, a value um, is um, one can define it, but it's always uh, a broad. Uh, the definitions are broad and can mean various things, but they're usually a family of resemblances to groups of personal beliefs. Okay. A family of resemblances to groups of personal beliefs. Personal <laughs> beliefs about, about what a, an individual, an individual thinks is valuable meaningful, desirable, and so important that it should be strived for, it should be an orientation in one's life that gives meaning and purpose and centers one and gives direction to his and her life. Huh. I mean, is our, our values... I've I love your work because when when you talk about emotion and you talk about our thinking um, and all of these things go into the concept of making up a value, right? I mean, it's because there's emotion behind it, which is why it's meaningful, it's desirable, um, but it's also there's inherent thought, there's expectation in our values. Are these things we hand down to our kids, or are they things that do we discern our own values? Well, uh, as usual, you come up with very interesting and complex questions of full of meaning and full of value, yeah. full of insight. All of those things go into creating and forming and organizing a value. And values generally are not single. They're usually complex right. formulations. And when I talk about values... Generally, I'm talking about an individual who's forming and formulating a value, and those values get formed, as I like to begin with, on an individual basis, and they emanate implicitly, and I'll use a few words for that, implicitly, uh, tacitly, the old word is unconsciously emanating out of the unconscious processes. The new word is non-conscious processing, all of which uh, is about 95% of mental functioning that goes on out of our awareness, but the input is everything that we experience in conscious life that we process outside of awareness when we're awake and especially when we're asleep. Hmm. 
And then when we're awake, either through intentional uh, diligence and um, deliberation, and then maybe through somebody telling us, and that's where what you said about family values or how we teach our children and how we uh, uh, pull from the principles of ethics, morality, religious uh, affiliations, uh, even uh, people who are not spiritually oriented, how, they, how those people pull from uh, philosophical uh, values and principles, how you pull from all those things that you feel you aspire to that have meaning, you form values, hmm. and then you, you try to maintain them yourself and then um, share them with your loved ones. Hmm. If, when you, if you are a parent, you, um, you transmit them to the next generation. This is what parenting, or they used to call it the bringing up, the raising of children, transmission yeah. of culture. Yeah, handing culture. down, this yeah, handing down my wisdom. Civilization forms. Right. Is values, it seems like, then are, are important because they, they, I know you talk about how they drive how we behave. They strongly influence That's behavior. the basis of all behavior. Values are more the intangible, non-conscious, and also conscious um, ideas that, that stand behind actions. Mm-hmm. All actions emanate from and are the expression of values. Even if, um, okay, so give me an example of how uh, negative behavior is the expression of values. Right. That's why, I'll, I'll explain it this way. That's why I say most values are non-consciously based. Mm-hmm. About 90, 95% are non-consciously held beliefs, and only 5% are consciously held. So negative behaviors uh, usually are impulsive and reactive and based on primitive, highly uncivilized, survivally-based fear, avoidance, and sort of a perception, usually now in our day and age, misperceptions of others as the enemy Mm. that want to persecute, that want to take from us, all based on the negative emotions, envy and jealousy and greed. You know, what I said in previous articles on psychology today, the rat race, the horse race, People feel that, that uh, life is a rat race, spinning the wheels without meaning, just to get by, to make a living. And the horse race, it's competitive. What do I have to do to get over on the next person? Because if I don't work hard enough, they'll get over on me, or I'll get fired, or I won't make that overtime that the other one is making, or the bo- boss won't think I'm working hard enough and uh, won't give me the raise 
or will let me go. So, I hear that every day. Yeah. So is that what you do? So you can really take any behavior, and if you, I guess, dig deep enough, you'll be able to hear. But usually, like you're saying, 95% of the time it's a subconscious That's right. thought. But you'll be able to discern what's the underlying fear. fear. Um, or it, I mean, it's fear, envy, jealousy, greed. Because yes. I can see somebody justifying uh, you know, stealing something from somebody that's wealthy just because that's they right. believe deeply in fairness and life's not that fair to them. Unfair. Yeah, it's that unfair. It's unfair right. that the other should have more than they. Mm-hmm. Even though superficially, the one that doesn't have didn't work for what they don't have. And the one that has worked hard right. and continues to work hard. Mm-hmm. And even though... The one that's working hard says to the one that doesn't have, you know what? There's so many opportunities I can give you. Come on. We're a team. Let's work together. I'll help you. Right. They still don't want it. Yeah. That's the basis of riots, looting, burning. That's all in my Envy book. Yeah. That's the second book I wrote. That, that's Envy why you say theory. values can change the world. That values can change the external world. But first and foremost, values have to change the inner world. I'm an environmentalist, an internal environmentalist. Clean up your internal environment first. Hmm. And that's 99% of the job. It's so true, huh? And I guess, so how do we, how do we go about evaluating our own values without, like, manipulating ourselves? Well, again, a deep and perceptive insight in the very question you asked. Uh, It's a profound job. You know, it's looking within. Uh, It's looking within. Those old, old, uh, thousand-year-old statements. Man, mankind, you know, they say man, and they mean mankind, humankind. Mm -hmm. Humankind is the measure of all things. In other words, we need to keep measuring, looking, introspecting, pondering, uh, self-reflecting, contemplating. You know, in truth, I think this is the meaning of prayer. Mm -hmm. Prayer doesn't mean external looking in the sky, outward, you know, you maybe you know i don't want to get uh, too religious yeah know ye not that ye are temples of god and the holy spirit dwells within mm. you know you you look within for the truth the truth is within everything is within the truth and all goodness all beauty all reality is within that's how you know yourself within you have to look within that's where everything lies. That's where reality lies. It's not, you know, you know, I, uh, I have a new book coming out, yeah. Making Sense of Emotion, Innovating Emotional Intelligence, and I devote a large portion of one of the chapters not just to insight, but to what I call outsight. And I say that is one of the distractions of our time, outsight. We look too much out rather than in. 
You know, that's why I said I'm an environmentalist, mm-hmm. but I'm an internal environmentalist, not just an outer, outer environmentalist. You have to look within. You have to look within. And when you deeply look within at yourself, how you feel, how you think, what you do, and why you do it. What are my motivations? What is important to me? What is the meaning, not of life, but of my life? What do I choose to do? What do I choose not to do? Then you begin to um, uncover, discover who you are and what, what is meaningful, and then you start to create a life for yourself. Yeah. Oh, man. That is – because, too, if, if the, the environmentalist is a perfect example um, because if I, if I sense – if I'm an envir- – if I sense you're telling me to be an environmentalist, but you internal – you haven't internalized the values yet – and you've only externalized them. I don't follow your lead. It's harder to follow someone's lead that's just talking, but not necessarily living these values. Um, you, there's that quote: uh, "Who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear the words you're saying." So we're going to come back and continue the discussion with Dr. Frank Ninavaji. Uh, wonderful, wonderful tool that uh, he's giving us about values. How to reevaluate. Our values. Values 101 is the article he wrote in Psychology Today. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're talking about your values and how your values really can make you or break you. They're these subconscious, deeper, uh, sometimes unknown, implicit motivators is what our guest, Dr. Frank Ninavaji, calls them. He is a, um, a, a, writes a lot for psychologytoday.com, also is a, an assistant clinical professor of child psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine and uh, also uh, just a, a good friend of the show. We have him on all the time to pick his brain. Deep thinker, but profound too, as well, and, and understands how this connects to our our spirituality as well, and our emotions and behavior. So, Doctor Frank, thank you again, Doctor Frank Ninavaji, for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. What do you think um, going forward? Then these values uh, they they kind of they make us, they break us, but I'm I'm constantly communicating my values right by my behavior. Behavior reflects and expresses everyone's values all the time. That's why that's an easy way to uh, first begin to understand what uh, one's values are by looking at behavior. How we behave reflects our values. Mm. Is there, but like you were talking about, if we don't go inside and because a lot of us, it seems like, try to build our lives from the outside up. Um, but we don't necessarily take those introspective looks. Can you, if you're building it without understanding your values, it seems like eventually the walls you're building are going to come down. Well, that's always true. That's always true. 
because it's it's um, it's always easier. It's easier to do things simple, simply, quickly. Uh, you know, we used to in child psychiatry years ago <laughs> when there were no medications and then when there were uh, no uh, instant diagnoses. Uh, and there wasn't uh, this sort of uh, universal delusional belief that there were uh, clear-cut diagnoses and clear-cut uh, d- uh, drugs to fix things, all of which is very delusional because it's really not true, even though people still think that it, uh, that it exists. Um, we used to use the idea of quick fix, Band-Aid, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, instant gratification, and talk about the fact that instant gratification was um, uh, a dilemma and uh, uh, sort of a disorder in and of itself. Mm. Instant gratification. Yeah. And building, building one's life from the outside is sort of, uh, what, what was that old expression, uh, like uh, a deck of cards, something that's flimsy, insubstantial, building something on sand. Mm. It it has just an ephemeral, a temporary reality and existence. You know, the Buddhists, and you may have seen it on television, they make films of this. The Buddhists have a a ritual. I think it's the um, Tibetan Buddhists where the monks uh, go through a process very, very detailed and meticulously. They spend hours and days uh, using different colored sand. Yeah, right. And make highly detailed uh, mandalas, uh, beautiful pictures and geometric forms reflecting their theories and ideas. And after they do this in a, in a team effort, it's a sort of religious practice, a meditative practice. They look at it, they say their prayers, their chants, and then they blow it away. Yeah. All that work, and then they blow it away. It reflects another domin- uh, dominant uh, theme in that way of, in that perspective. It's called impermanence. Mm. Impermanence that this world and reality in general has a quality of impermanence to it, and you better realize that it's true (laughs) and real. It's so true. Not get so attached to material goods, because it's flimsy, it's transitory. And I guess, are are we as healthy as our ability to manage impermanence? That's a, that's very good. Very, again, so insightful. <laughs> Thank you. So very insightful. Much. Thank you. Because if, if I'm too caught up in the things, right? The what? things. If I'm too caught up in the tangible world, then I don't accept things that I don't want. I don't like. I don't want to go through this trial. I don't want to. And it that seems you like can't see. Yeah. That you cannot grasp. I have a big thing on my book of biomental child development. Big sections on the. The physical development in a, in a baby and an infant on how they learn how with their hands and fingers to grasp. You know, that doesn't happen instantly. 
there's a whole development in uh, from three months, four months, and I detail. I studied that for years at Yale. I that's what I wanted to become an infant child psychiatrist, really? infant psychiatrist, and it was a, a big thing forty years ago. But there was no interest in it, and it, it all fizzled out. There's no more infant psychiatry. Hmm. So then I became a child psychiatrist where there was interest. But now, they're, by the way, now they're going to dogs or animal psychiatry, too. So <laughs> if, if you're still looking for it. <laughs> yeah, all these passing fads. Well, I studied and I documented it because I kept detailed notes. I d- documented month by month the development of how the hand and the fingers are uh, develop the capacity to hold and grasp. Huh. And be- interestingly, that develops way before the capacity for the fingers to unfold and let go. Oh. So even the physical body wants to hold on more so than it does let go. Hmm. So grasping is a, a tangibly neuromaturationally, neurophysiologically harder thing and a more intrinsically ingrained thing than letting go. Wow. And we know that in psychology. The psychologists know that. Uh, people have a hard time letting go. Mm-hmm. It's easier to grasp than to let go. That's so true, though. Um, so true, and this is part of the basis of the um, emotion of greed. Oh, is it? Greed, yeah, yeah. Greed, avarice. Well, and you because think about it, you don't want to let go of anything. Avarice. That's survival, right? Keeping you got to keep everything because you may need it. That'll help you survive. Hoarding, right, hoarding, hoarding. Yeah. Then now it's a disease. It's a diagnosis in the DSM five. Hoarding. Mm. They make television programs out of no, it. No, they, t- they totally do, sadly. Um, uh, we've only got a few more minutes, Frank. Talk about, because not only does this lead to behavior, but it also leads to emotion, right? I mean, the values, this, these deep subconscious belief sets, mindsets, paradigms, they, they beget your emotional state. Well, emotions uh, fuel, fuel and energize values. The um, stronger the emotions that get attached to the values make the values firmer, Hmm. more adamant, more embedded in us, and then more make us more motivated to hold on, hang on, persevere, and carry out the value. And this especially applies to negative values, because like I say, you know, there are we think of values as positive, but there are definitely negative values. Right. And we know that in the world, many people have negative values fueled by very negative, negative, destructive emotions. And that's what I mean by negative. Anything that's destructive and against life, it's the opposite of choose life. When you choose death and destruction, that's negative. And a lot of people have that, sadly yeah. to say, but that's what makes the world, and that's supposed to be there, that uh, contrast. 
so that we can choose. That gives us free will and uh, morality, the capacity for free choice and morality to choose to be good, to choose to be moral, to choose to enrich ourselves, to enlighten ourselves, to refine ourselves. You you bring up a point in your article, just as we wrap up, um, that values really can lead us to uh, to being unified with fellow men, with ourself. I mean, talk about what what would you suggest is maybe the one thing we do today to start working on our values in a way to unify our relationships, our communities, our lives? To realize we all have the same genetics. We all have, you know when they say certain lives matter? Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. We all have the same genetics. We call ourselves human. That's what matters. Human matters. We're on the same team. That's the flag, the human flag. And because of that, we can share. And we can share that diversity, which means there have to be core values. We all want to eat. Maybe the taste of the food is going to be different, but it's still going to be food. Maybe the sound of the voice is going to be different, but it's all going to be voice, communication. And in that diversity, just like we look outside, I'm looking outside in the forest here in Connecticut, and I see green, I see yellow, I see brown. I'm looking at the sky. I see different shades of blue. The clouds are different shades of white. It's all beautiful. There's diversity. And that's what we, as human beings, need to emphasize, that diversity. And there's a beauty in it. If we can learn to appreciate that, that's why I say in my article, non-kin loving, non-kin kindness. Mm. Not just that biological kin-to-kin friendship, my own kind. Yeah. If we... That's important because it's intrinsic to us to love our babies. Yeah. We have to do that and beyond. And if we value, if we value that, uh, that would drive our, that would help us increase our emotion toward those values of non-kin kindness. That would improve our behavior towards others. Um, then we live our values. Dr. Frank Ninavaji, we thank you so much. That, um, that's what we need to hear. We, we have the ability, and it would only make life better by knowing your values and, and being more aligned to those values as well. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, Caitlin Thomas will be joining us. We're going to be talking about uh, other mistakes that have been made, uh, you know, like we saw on the Oscars. People make mistakes. Stick with us. Fun list ahead. You know, if anyone has been paying attention over the last few days, you would know what happened on Sunday night at the Oscars. The award for Best Picture was announced as La La Land, but was actually supposed to go to the movie Moonlight. Nobody knew what happened, but we all knew it felt kind of awkward. Live TV can be really interesting for this reason, and Caitlin Thomas is here with us this morning to take us back to a time when some other really, really awkward TV mess-ups occurred. I just really love those cringeworthy... 
moments. You know what? On we call that on the show. Uh, we it's every day. We just call that every, doing every radio. Every time Matt comes on, we we have a lot of cringeworthy moments on the yes. show. But my cringe meter has been turned down. Well, it's because live TV is really starting to turn it up. Yeah. That's the problem. They're, I mean, this is the Oscars, right? This should be as right. perfect of a – I mean, and I'm, I'm spoiled because BYU Broadcasting has really some of the best skilled people yeah, well, running their stuff. Yeah, well, it's funny. The Oscars is a bunch of this movie is makers, right. movie this actors. This should be like, they near should be, perfect. It was just funny. And, like, I understand everybody makes mistakes. Like, yeah. it happens. It happens. But it was still awkward. Yeah, yeah. So I went and found some other times when this a similar thing happened. Okay. So the first one's from Australia's Next Top Model. They were on live TV announcing the winner. And the host didn't hear. Like, they fed it wrong into her earpiece. Yeah. And so she said the one girl. So she, I think she just guessed. But it was the wrong girl. Just listen to how awkward this okay. sounds. And Australia's Next Top Model for 2010 is... You, Kelsey. So she announces Kelsey. I'm feeling a bit sick about this. I'm so sorry about this. I don't know what to say. This is not, this was a complete accident. I'm so sorry. It's Amanda. I'm so sorry. Amanda. Sorry, Kelsey. Yeah, can you take the crown off, please? Thank you. Right. This is what happens when you have live TV, folks. I'm so sorry. This is insane. It's insane. It's just so awkward. It's just so awkward. And, like, nobody knew how to celebrate. Oh, yeah, what do you do? So then the other one gets it and no one wants to celebrate. Now you don't want to clap. Okay. And it's also, do you remember the time? This was a long, well, not a super long time ago. When Michael Jackson was being given an award for his birthday, like a gift for his yeah. birthday on an award show. But for some reason, he thought that they named him Artist of the Millennium. So he went up on stage and started giving a speech about how he was so grateful to be Artist of the Millennium. But they were just trying to celebrate his birthday. <laughs> Oops. And like, I That's mean, kind of everything, every time he talks, is kind of awkward as it is. But yeah. that oh, yeah. one was bad. Holy cow. Give us more. Or how about when the UK Eurovision Song Contest... They had two announcers, and they both said different people, and there was two people left. Oh. But one guy was louder, so he said his, and it was louder, so they started celebrating, but he said the wrong one. Oh, no. Woo! Blasted! So totally lost their moment. Yeah. Or this one time, a violinist, her name was Lee Ji Yoon, uh-huh. did this giddy bow happy dance when she thought they announced her name for this prestigious music award in Brussels. She didn't and it win. wasn't her. It was actually wah, wah. Lim Ji Young. Oh, boy. But she, like, got up in front of everybody and, like, bowed and was like, oh, my gosh, and won there. <laughs> um, or this one time they were trying to give the award for the Brit Awards in 2000 yeah. to Notting Hill for Best Soundtrack. Oh, yeah. But this drunk guy named DJ Brandon Block was up on stage trying to accept the award on live TV. Oops. And, the, and a, like, security had to come up on stage and drag him off. Security. And then the host threw water on his face. Really? That was weird. It got well, weird. To, to get him to be sober, right? Right. Yeah, which, that, I don't yeah. know. Well, well, it was yeah, awkward. But, but here's just... probably the one that takes the cake. Okay. We all I have remember to this. apologize. Steve the Harvey. The first runner-up is Columbia. Columbia. <laughs> Miss Universe 2015 uh. is Philippines. And the poor Listen, Miss Philippines, folks, the look on her let me face. Just take control of this. I will take responsibility for this. It was my mistake 
Please don't hold it against the ladies. <laughs> That's Live TV. Would anybody hold it against them? Well, please I'm... don't blame these ladies. Well, the, well yeah. we blame Philippines. you. <laughs> Philippines never got her moment. You cheated. No, these winners never really get know, a moment because it just makes it's like Moonlight. I feel like La La Land producers did a good job, but it was still. Kind oh yeah, of and, just and they were weird. they were great, but then felt awkward. And I guess the the accounting firm wanted to come fix everything and on air and do interviews for a bunch of stations, but the Oscar people are saying no, 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 no. Let's just let this die. Let it die. Let Live, it die. Just TV, don't everyone. tweet yeah. while you're handing yeah. out awards That's right. Stay f- because that may have caused. The mishand off. Well, of I hope the, I uh, helped you cringe and you have, squirm this morning. We're cringing effectively now. Thank right. you very much, Caitlin Thomas. That's uh, hour number two. Stick with us, folks. More fun next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friend, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Tooth Fairy Day. Celebrating the Tooth Fairy. Also celebrating National Public Sleeping Day. The day you need to get more sleep. Except don't get sleepy yet. You're still driving or you still have a day of work. So just pace yourself and maybe, you know, at lunch, eat a little lighter meal. Today we're going to be talking about lessons from the blue zone. Have you ever heard of a blue zone? Is that like the twilight zone but for um, Democrats? No, but that was a very good guess. The blue zone are those – there's certain areas of the world that have – they tend to outlive everyone else. Hmm. They call them the blue zone. I guess because the blue hair idea. I don't know. They get they, – they turn to blue cheese. I do not know. <laughs> but they – the blue zones are those zones um, where – and they've done a lot of research on these areas. And those – the people that live there can outlive others by 10, 20 years. On average, just by living in this zone. So we're going to find out from Dr. Ron Hager, what's the difference? What are the keys to living longer, healthier lives? It's crazy. It's Twilight Zone. No, that's a different zone. Imagine if you will. (laughs) Moving naturally and eating lots of fibrous foods. Those are all keys to uh, living in the blue zone and outliving everyone else. There's even a religious group, Seventh-day Adventists, hmm. that live on a, in, in, an area, in an area of the United States that live on average 10 years longer than the average person. Oh, wow. Hmm. Because of just how they live. You know what it is? What? They don't have cable TV. Guaranteed that's it. They, yeah. don't, they don't bear arms either, so they're not killing each other. See? Those are all really... Great guesses. No guns, no cable TV. Do they Lives have cell peaceful? phones? No, they probably live in one of those zones where they block all signals. Mm. And yet go down south and you have people shooting guns at their TVs. Yes. Down south where? I'm not going to name names. Oh, in the south, like of the United States? 
Yeah. Usually after a college football loss. <laughs> you can watch them on YouTube. They get mad and shoot the TV, punch the TV. Well, all kinds yeah. Of abuse to a TV. What else are you supposed to do? Right. I mean, complain? Just turn it to off. To the athletic director? <laughs> no, just get your gun. So we'll be talking about all of that fun um, straight ahead. Uh, plus, of course, we'll be visiting with the guys from BYU Sports Nation, see what's coming up on their show. Hopefully they can get us today. Um, also, we'll be doing a hero story. As you know, we always like to uh, talk about the hero of the day. Plus, just some other crazy stories. How about a woman without arms breaks the world record for the most candles lit with her feet? It's a pretty cool record. I believe it was done on the same show. Was it in Italy? Yes. There's a TV show where yes. they do this sort of human. Yeah. We had the guy last week who was uh, banging uh, nails in with his forehead because he has an extra thick skull. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh-huh. same TV show as they did this one where she has lighting candles with her feet. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. They, they, they focus on amazing achievements by humans. By the way, mm-hmm. when you talk about that, after you finish talking about that story, I'm going to challenge you to a contest. Really? Mm-hmm. So get ready to take off your shoes. Boy. And, uh, Are we going to light something? No. We're going to play something. So just get ready. Wow. So hopefully you, you wore horrible. clean socks today and showered. Mm-hmm. Why? It just – you'll have Thursday. to <laughs> – Jeez. Getting picky. All right, all that fun ahead, but first of the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be worrying about? The Senate has confirmed billionaire investor Wilbur Ross as Commerce Secretary. They did this yesterday. President Trump adds to his economic team. Ross said that Trump uh, administration will quickly work to redo the North America Free Trade Agreement. Senators from both political parties were deferential to Ross at his nearly four-hour confirmation hearing, which was more subdued than the confirmation hearings of other Trump nominees. Also, President Trump will strike an optimistic tone as he outlines how he plans to begin a, quote, renewal of the American spirit with his economic goals and priorities as he addresses a joint session of Congress tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Hmm. Plan accordingly. On Monday, the World Health Organization... Who? There you go. Who? Uh, ...released a list of bacteria that it thinks should be the biggest cause for concern. The list, which includes 12 priority pathogens <laughs> that have, quote, built in abilities to find new ways to resist treatment, is intended as a nudge for researchers to develop new antibio- antibiotics fast, they say. Yeah, yeah. Antibiotic resistance is growing and we are fast running out of treatment options, says WHO, a spokesperson who? said. If we leave it to the market forces alone... The new antibiotics will most urgently need needed or will not be developed in time. So we're running out okay. of options. Oh, yeah. They're, Gotta they're hurry. kind of concerned. Says who? Says absolutely. Exactly. World Health Organization. As expected, Japanese auto parts maker Takata Corporations pled guilty to fraud Monday and agreed to pay $1 billion in penalties for uh, concealing an airbag defect blamed for at least 16 deaths, most of them in the, in the United States. Wow. The scandal, meanwhile, seems to grow wider when plaintiffs' attorneys charged that five major automakers knew the devices were dangerous but continued to use them for years to save money. In pleading guilty, Takata admitted to having evidence or hiding evidence that millions of its airbag inflators can explode with too much force, hurling lethal shrapnel into Boy. drivers and passengers. What? We, my, my house got a notice that uh, they want us to come in and get our airbag replaced in our car. Oh, no. oh dear. So, yeah, get that done. Uh, Governor, Former Governor John Huntsman. Yeah. 
he uh, he ran for president. He was the ambassador to China under the Obama administration. He's under consideration to be the number two guy at the yeah. State Department, along with a whole bunch of other people. He's 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 under in, he's under. He's one of many names. But yes, yeah, so they're throwing out that name. That would be cool because then you know some, he's being vetted. He, he was extreme also vetted. extreme vetted. He was also allegedly in the mix for the Secretary of State job. Right, right. He was allegedly allegedly. Finally, yes. New iPhone rumors. Oh boy, what? Because we have the iPhone eight, which will come out coming out. Yeah, like October, mm-hmm. possibly. That's usually the cycle of these things. Uh, the rumor. This is all according to the Wall Street Journal. They've outlined their current thinking on the next model uh, with the rumors they hear and supply chain okay. information and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. The iPhone 8 that they're calling it, not Apple. This is Wall Street Journal. Right. Apple will probably call spies. it yep. iPhone 8. Um, they believe that Apple will replace the lightning connector. So the current Good. connector to your phone Oh, will be replaced. They're changing the actual the power plug. Oh, are you serious? They'll change it to the USB-C, which is currently being used on some of the MacBooks, which is their Come laptops. Come on, Apple, making it so that everybody that has a new phone, you have to buy new connectors to get into your to charge it. Okay, because if that happens, but it's okay. Low, low price of twenty nine ninety nine for an extra charging cable. No problem. That's like the default number with them sometimes. Uh, Thirty bucks. Also, they're saying um, they'll have a large curved OLED screen, which means richer, yeah. more vibrant colors. Okay. You know, it's pretty and good curved. now, but it's, we curved. Yeah. It so you could, yeah. Also, you'll be losing the home button. Mm. There, won't be no, there won't be a physical button. You'll just have a touchscreen function area. Okay. <laughs> the crowd doesn't like it. They say the device will have a 5.8-inch display, which is bigger. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to take like the frame of the phone, the bezel it's called, and like reduce it so they get more size on the screen without increasing the actual size of the phone. There That's you go. the silliest thing I've ever heard. Right. Settle down, and Sean. what's the other thing right here I wonder to read? Oh, and they say they'll try to improve battery life. Yeah. Good. But as, as mostly that comes in, uh, w- what usually happens is when you increase the battery capacity, they make the phone eat more energy to do more things, which makes the battery capacity just irrelevant. Right. And okay. you still have the problem where you can't get through the workday without charging I your can't phone. get over the charger thing. Yeah, they always change the connectors, so you have to buy new cords. I know, that makes me mad. And they keep saying they're doing it to improve all of our lives, and they're not. But they're battery not. life, that will change your life significantly. Would it? Oh, yeah. Why? Because, like Terry said, you could go one day without having to charge your phone. So, why? Why does that matter? So, iPhone, this is... But don't, don't you just... That's I'm, an Apple product, right? Yeah. Aren't you, in a, aren't you in a pattern, though, where you just plug it in? Like, I plug it in when I drive. My phone always has juice. Okay, here's the always. problem. Here's the problem that I'm running into, though. They force you to make these updates periodically, mm-hmm. and I always resist it as long as possible because they're always horrible. And I right now, my phone says if you plug it in between the hours of midnight and 4 or 5 a.m., they're going to do the update for me automatically. So I can never charge my phone overnight, which is when it really needs battery power the most because it's the end of the day. <laughs> so they're trying to get me. 
I think they better be careful yeah. because you – this is – I mean who's to say we wouldn't go to Samsung? The new phones – well, <laughs> the new phones don't have the headphone jack on them. Yeah. So there's an issue there. They're also changing your power connector so anything you've had before right. won't work. Even that you had one iteration ago. And Samsung – this is their problem that everyone remembers. Well, they've delayed putting out the new Samsung. They have. Just for fire their current, their current CEO is under uh, fraud charges. The government's coming after oh. a huge corruption scandal right now. Yeah. Apple and Samsung may go to court again over uh, the swipe to open. Yeah. That functionality oh, on yeah, the Apple phones because Samsung stolen, used it. Right. But Apple doesn't even use it anymore. Yeah. Swipe to function doesn't even work on devices, <sighs> on the new devices. So what they're saying is that there will be three phones that come out in the fall. They'll have the 7S, the 7S Plus, which is the bigger phone, and then they'll have the the iPhone 8, which will be their 10th anniversary special phone. That one, they feel, will cost around $1,000. Okay, they're making me mad. <laughs> so you they're know, taking. I think they're taking us for granted. Did you know that if you dodge the update long enough – they start calling you. Do they really? Between the hours of midnight and 5 a.m. Look, uh, Jeffrey, what's it going to take to get you to update? Right now, the new software I read yesterday is about 78% on 78% of Apple devices. Right? It, so there's still these holdouts. Yeah. They like have the me. last one. They have whatever other old version they don't want to change because this app works. And, yeah. you know, and they don't, if, if you change it, then that app stops working and it ruins your life. What do I have to do to get you in some new software today? <laughs> they call you up and start bugging you. Excuse me. Wait till they break into your house in the middle of the night and plug, it plug in your phone me. in. <laughs> I got it. Phone's plugged in. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it now. Hey, did you see that picture of Kellyanne Conway being all ultra casual in the Oval Office? Yes. Honestly, she's acting I, – I love her abilities as far as she's a great talker. Yes. Not always the truth, but she can spin anything. There's a skill. There's a skill that she has. Yeah. It's crazy. And she's a smart pole, right? She knows how to make stuff happen. So um, politically – but she's sitting on – there's a White House. The, the Oval Office is filled with, um, with uh, members of – it looks like – They're African-American educators. Yeah, the black colleges and university presidents are all meeting with the president. Black History Month. Yeah, they have it's another a powerful event. picture. But Kellyanne Conway is sitting on her knees in a short skirt but sitting on the couch. Right. Almost like a teenage girl looking at now, her phone while there are literally 50, it looks like, people. There's other photos. She dials up her phone and she leans you know, out while kneeling that. on the couch to take a photo. She could totally stand up. She it's, doesn't need to do this. And she – so apparently she's got her shoes off and she's – No, no, no. Her shoes are on. Are you serious? Yeah, she's got heels on while she's on the couch. And that's really the big flare-up is what is the proper decorum in the Oval Office looking like a 12-year-old who didn't take your shoes off before you got on the couch. It's just the weirdest and, picture I've and ever that's, seen. I mean, that's just talking about President Trump right there. Right. But there was a similar flare-up when Obama, President Obama was in the office the first couple months. There was a photo that came out. He's on the phone. Yeah. And his feet are on the desk. Right. And people went nuts that he put yeah. his feet up on the desk. Well, but again, he's the president of the United States. It seems like the president right. can do anything he wants to do in his office. But she has walk-in privileges. He, yeah, but not kneel on the couch privileges. Possibly that is included. Anyway, it's a crazy photo. By the yeah, way, I also want to do a health update. Oh, because, oh. Um, For who? Well, 
Mardi Gras. Oh, right. Because Mardi Gras is upon us. You got to be careful, folks. They're going to be serving a lot of coffee cake throughout Louisiana. And um, because Mardi Gras is around, they they have a little tradition of baking in a little baby Jesus plastic baby into the cake. Mm -hmm. So when you're eating the cake, be looking for that little plastic baby Jesus. You don't want to go ahead and choke the toy. I mean, that's a bad way to die. There's like an egg product, a chocolate product in Europe Mm. where they put a a toy inside. Uh And I, I believe they're illegal here. Simply because you start eating this and you could choke on this little tiny toy that they insert in here. But in Europe, they're huge because everyone wants the little toy. Yeah, yeah. You want the toy. It's like getting toy in the cereal box except it's in your chocolate egg. <laughs> mm. Interesting. I, every, wish, I want some of that cake. It looks fantastic. You do have to be careful though because every time my daughters see coins, they say, look, chocolate. Oh, really? The chocolate coins, you know? Yeah, yeah. You need to let your kids out more a little bit it sounds like. Anywho, we'll take a break. When we come back, Ron Hager will be joining us, and he's talking. Um, he is, remember, he's the our health evangelist. He's going to be talking about blue zones, these places around the world where people tend to outlive everybody else. Lessons from the blue zones. Up next, this is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. That is the uh, the music of our health evangelist, Dr. Ron Hager. Ron is a uh, an associate professor of exercise sciences at the College of Life Sciences at BYU. His expertise is in chronic disease prevention, and we always have Ron on the show to uh, walk us through how to be a healthier person. Today, he's talking blue zones. Welcome, Ron. Dr. Ron, our health evangelist. It's great to be here. You know, these blue zones are interesting. I came across this not too long ago. Um, and you can go to bluezones.com. Okay. Uh, just bluezones, all one word, .com. They've got a newsletter you can sign up for. There's all kinds of other information about the work and the research that's been done. Uh, basically, this is a guy named Dan Butner. Uh, he's a National Geographic fellow, and he's a writer, but uh, you know, New York Times best-selling author because he's written about some of the things that, that he and a team of epidemiologists and demographers, people who study people and cultures and patterns, uh, you know, he, he, he's written about what they've found. Yeah. And, and there's also been, you know, some actual, you know, academic uh, research done in this area as well. Uh, but, but one of the things that, uh, that, they, that, that we know is that the life expectancy of American born today uh-huh. uh, is about 78 years. Oh, wow. and, and it's actually going – it has gone up yeah. fairly systematically you know, for more than 100 years. There is some concern right now because uh, in the next 15, 20, 25 years, we may actually be seeing for the first time in more than a century a decline in the average life expectancy. And that's been attributed to the obesity epidemic. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. So, so, so we've been kind of going up pretty systematically. We may be facing a downhill if something isn't done. Um, but interestingly, uh, this year, over 70,000 Americans are going to turn 100. They'll, they'll have their 100th 70, birthday. 70,000. Yeah, and, that, and that's what they were interested in. They were interested in uh, centenarians, people who are the oldest people on earth. 
where they lived, who they lived with, what they did. They thought, you know, if we go study these people, if we can find pockets around the world where people tend to live longer than other people, we can study them. Study the pocket, yeah. And, and you know, and that's what an epidemiologist does. They kind of make comparisons and contrast things, find out what the similarities are, what the differences are, and, and, and that's what they did. So so they, he, he was with this group, um, you know, and they went all over the world, and uh, they were trying to find out, you know, is it is it about lifestyle? Is it about environment? Is it about genetics? Maybe it has something to do with race or ethnicity. Right. Uh, you know, but but interestingly, there's been some studies done, some twin studies. These are kind of fascinating studies. These are identical twin studies. Uh, when you study identical twins, and, and let's just say that, you know, one dies five years before the other one uh, due to a chronic illness, not like an accident or something like that. And you have to say, well, wait a minute, aren't they genetically the same? So, so, so it's actually kind of been decided that, uh, you know, based on some twin study research, that only about 20% of how long the average person lives can be attributed to genetics. Hmm. And, and I've said this a, lo- a lot on the show that, you know, we, we talk frequently about these diseases of choice sometimes. Yeah, we call right, them, right. How, you know, they're 70, 80, even 90% preventable. So, so that kind of backs this up, you know, that how long you live, uh, you know, is, is less about genetics and more about how you choose to live. Right, so, uh, so the idea here is that if if it's not about genetics, if it is about lifestyle, environment, how you handle your stress, how you have family interaction, you know, whatever it is, they started looking into all this. And now, now they found five areas in the world where people tended to live longer than than their counterparts. You know, than mm. people elsewhere in the world. Um, one is in 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 the mountainous highlands region of uh, Sardinia, and. Uh, this is the second largest island off the coast of Italy in the Mediterranean Sea. And um, another area is in Greece. In the, mm-hmm. It's an Aegean island uh, called Icaria. Um, they, they have – on this little island, they have um, some of the world's lowest rates of middle age mortality. So it's like nobody dies yeah. in, in middle age. And, and also some of the lowest rates of dementia, which is right now probably for most people oh. – more scary no, right. than cancer, yeah. more scary more, than heart disease. We hear disease. more and more about that. Yeah, about Alzheimer's, uh, cognitive mm-hmm. decline, those kinds of things. Uh, another area is in Costa Rica, the, uh, the Nicoya Peninsula. They have the uh, the world's lowest rate of uh, middle-aged mortality, second highest concentration of male centenarians. This is, wow. uh, th- this is a peninsula that's part of uh, – on the Pacific coast of Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, and then there's – get this – in Loma Linda, California, there's a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists. And the Seventh-day Adventists uh, around Loma Linda, California, live 10 years longer than their North American counterparts. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and they, you know, the Seventh-day Adventists, uh, uh, a compliant yeah. uh, Seventh-day Adventist is a vegan. Yeah. Um, you know, and they have some other uh, kind of health codes that they live by as well. And then the, the last, the fifth area that they found is in Okinawa, Japan. Hmm. Um, and they have some of the longest uh, lives, some of the longest lifespans on Okinawa, Japan. That's uh, and, and so, so it's kind of interesting. They, they looked at all these people. Uh, they, they spent time with them. They interviewed them. They studied them. They you know, learned about how they lived, what they ate, what they did, what they didn't do. And, uh, and then they, they came up with nine things that all of these 
groups of people had in common. You can almost see like – because you always hear about the Mediterranean diet and yeah. there's always a new diet book about the Mediterranean. But so you can almost see that everyone's going to squeeze whatever they can out of these five little villages right. or whatever right. to right. get – to then start you know, selling the pill that is longevity right. from but, Sardinia. Yeah, exactly. And, and you'll see that. Yeah. You know, just like you said, there's a Mediterranean diet. Uh, there's probably an Okinawan diet for yeah, all totally. I know. Um, now everyone's going to go convert to Seventh Day Adventism, and they're going to be a. They're going to. It's. But what are the principles? I guess that's the key. They've discerned the principles. What are some of the things? What are those nine things they found? Well, that that's where it gets pretty exciting. I think because these are not unrealistic things in my right. mind. These are not things you have to buy. These are not things uh, you have to be privileged to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it's just the opposite. Uh, so these, they're, they're, so, so there are nine things. Let's start talking about those. Uh, one, the number one thing, and I found this fascinating because, you know, I've been brought up in terms of my education, you know, to say that you know exercise is important, you know, and and for years I actually preached something called um, the exercise prescription model, mm. you know, where you know you had to get your you know, 40 to 60 minutes of aerobic exercise a day with your heart rate in the training zone, you know, uh, you know, at least three days a week. You know, I mean, it was very prescriptive. It's kind of something you had to plan, something yeah. you had to intentionally ma- do. to make, a, you know, a, an addition to your life. Uh, the, the people that they studied in these five areas, they don't exercise. <laughs> they, don't do they don't exercise. They, they don't exercise. They don't belong to gyms. They don't have gym memberships. They don't buy exercise equipment. They don't have, you know, <laughs> elastic tubing. Do they have a bow flex? <laughs> yeah, so, yes. They probably don't so have, they a, don't bow have flex. a bow flex. Okay. So, so, so the world's longest lived people, they don't pump iron. They don't run marathons. They don't join gyms. Instead, they live in environments that constantly nudge them into, into a physically active lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, you know, they grow gardens. They chop wood. Uh, they ride a bicycle, yeah, uh, or they walk they to walk get from to the point bus. A to point right. B. Uh, you know, and, and they don't have a lot of mechanical conveniences. And we've talked about this before too, on the show, uh, with something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, where we are robbed on a daily basis of opportunities to expend energy to be active. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you know, and we've talked about how to avoid those those traps. Yeah. So so basically, it's an environmental issue, Matt. And yeah. Now, now we live, I believe, in uh, what some have called a toxic environment. We don't have a lot of, you know, built-in opportunities for physical activity. So that's where you have to learn to create it. Well, like like we say, park your car as far away from the door as you can. Yeah. So we have to create the need to move naturally. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the things I looked into, uh, you know, they, they specifically mentioned on some of this Blue Zones research and information uh, that in Okinawa, you know, it's a it's a, a Japanese Asian environment, and they don't have a lot of furniture in their homes. And uh, the women, more than the men, but the men, you know, quite a bit as well, get up and down off the floor. Yeah, you mentioned many, that many, many times a day. And you know, they I, they eat lower to the ground. They're, so they're yeah, constantly up and down, up and down, up and down. Whereas you know, a typical middle aged American may not get up and down off the floor right. for more than a week at right. a time, you know. Yeah, we may not see the floor. Yeah. No, okay. Now, here here's one of my favorite things that they found, one of the commonalities uh they called purpose. The Okinawans call it uh ikigai. Uh the Nikoyans in Costa Rica call it uh, plan de vida. 
And basically, for both, it translates into why I wake up in the morning. Huh. Now, that's a great question to ask yourself. I was talking to my son about this this morning as we were, as I was taking him to work. Uh, you know, if you, I mean, if you ever feel like you're kind of trapped, if you ever feel like you're going nowhere, uh, you know, like your life is at a dead end, your job's at a dead you know, whatever, uh, you know, there's very little purpose. It's it's not easy to get out of bed in the morning. It's right. like, why? Why bother? Right. right? So so the, these people have a purpose, right? Um, they, uh, they, they know their sense of purpose. And... Uh, and so I encourage, you know, the listeners, uh, you, me, and everybody. And it's probably not just their job, right? No. It's not just their no. – no, it's it, everything. It's, no, yeah. In, in fact, it's – some of it has to do with some of the other commonalities that yeah. they found, like with their families and yeah. things. But, you know, as I got thinking about this, you know, what's my guy? You know, what gets me out of bed in the morning? I can tell you it's not my job. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy my job. Yeah. But I could have just about any job, you know. It, so it's other things. It's opportunities to serve. It's – uh, you know, those are the things that give you meaning and purpose in your life cool. that make you feel like you're progressing. Yeah. Let's, um, let's, okay. uh, let's take a break, come back, and go through the other um, six or seven. We're learning, folks, lessons from the blue zones, those those areas of the world that, that tend to just outlive the rest of us. Many, many insights in the research behind those. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We're joined by Dr. Ron Hager. Pastor Ron, we call him. <laughs> he's helping us. Uh, he's our health evangelist. He's he's here to, to make sure we catch the fire of health and to live a healthier life. Um, he used to be the great uh, chronic disease preventer. That, that, yeah, that's what I used to be. Yes. Yeah. Now yeah. and we decided to make it more positive, the health yeah. health evangelist. Yeah. Today he's talking about these blue zones, these five different uh, areas of the world that, for some reason, have been turning out more centenarians than and and, and have lo- more long life longevity than any other part of the of the world. And there's many lessons we can gather. Two that we've gained so far: these people in these areas move more naturally. They just – they're active. They don't necessarily go to a gym. They just are active in their lives, and they have ikigai or purpose. Yeah. They know what they, – they have a connection to what they're they're supposed to be doing on this earth. Yeah, that's why I got out of bed this morning uh, because, I, because I was coming in to talk about this yeah, on, on the radio show. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Now, another thing they do – I mean, everybody experiences stress. Some people handle it differently yeah. than others, and, uh, and the people in these blue zones experience stress as well, but they have uh, – mechanisms in place, uh, and it, I, I get the feeling it's not anything, you know, kind of fabricated or intentional. Yeah. It's just sort of an environmental thing again. But but we know from lots of research that stress can be, for example, related to inflammation. Right. Uh, inflammation is linked to every major chronic disease that we know of, not the least of which is heart disease, which is the number one killer uh, in America and in other developed nations as well. Uh, so what is it that these uh, blue zone people do uh, that we don't do uh, to shed their stress. Well, the Okinawans, for example, this is a practice uh, that they do, that they have. They take a few uh, moments each day to remember their ancestors. Oh, neat. Now imagine that. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty clever. Uh, that that not only gives you a connection to the past, but can also influence 
how you want the future Absolutely. to be. And, and, uh, and that's one thing that they do. The Adventists pray. Obviously, that's a, a religious organization, and they, they pray. Uh, the Icarians uh, take a nap. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that's, that's one way to just kind of put things into perspective. Uh, the Sardinians uh, uh, do a happy hour. <laughs> okay, so they're gonna yeah, they're gonna uh, have know, a social moment. Yeah, with, yeah, 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 maybe imbibe a bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Okay, uh, a, a fourth thing now is the eighty percent rule. This is another one of my favorites. Uh, I've actually known about the eighty percent rule uh, from a different perspective. So this one's kind of unique. But uh, in in exercise science and wellness areas, uh, sometimes there's something called the eighty percent rule, which refers to a dose response curve. You know where. You know, there's there's diminishing returns. You know, if something's yeah. good, more is better. Doesn't always pan right. out, Not right? That's true. So the eighty percent rule sometimes, you know, can be said, uh, you know, or, or be defined as, you know, you put in, um, you know, uh, the, the the average amount of effort, and you get eighty percent out. Yeah. You know, so it just means you know you you do something and you get most of the benefit. If you do a whole lot more. You know, you're going to get some yeah. extra, but but the idea is, you know, that the 80 percent rule can be kind of motivating. Well, in the case of the the blue zone people, um, there's an Okinawan phrase, uh, harahachibu. Uh, it's a 25 year old, uh, 2500 year old Confucian saying, uh, a, a quote that uh, says, uh, "Before meals, these people remind themselves by saying this uh, to stop eating when their stomachs are 80 percent full." And the twenty percent gap between uh, being hungry and feeling full could be the difference, you know, between overeating and not oh, gaining weight, yeah. losing weight. Um, and the people in the blue zones. Now, this is this was fascinating too. This is something that was characteristic across the blue zones. Uh, they eat their smallest meal in the late afternoon or early evening, so kind of their dinner or supper meal. But it's their smallest yeah. meal of the day, and then they don't eat again for the rest of that day. They don't eat again until the next day. So they don't they don't snack at night on chocolate or donuts or Ice have a late or, night yeah. cereal yeah. bowl or yeah yeah so yeah so isn't that it so so mm. now think about that in terms of the typical American dietary pattern yeah okay where the biggest meal is usually the last one right 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 and these people the biggest meal is not the last one well, no. that's the smallest meal such yeah so so we're doing everything backwards harahachi boo that's such great. Yeah. Yeah. Great thing to remember. We've got time for two more. Okay, what, what okay. are the two most important? Well, I, I really like this one too. They call it the plant slant. <laughs> uh, beans, including fava, black, soy, and lentils, are a cornerstone of most centenarian diets. Uh, they do eat some meat, mostly pork, but li- but 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 how how about this? They they only average five servings a month, a month wow. of, of of meat, and it's mostly pork. Okay, so they eat a lot of beans. And then, and then this other one that I really like too is what they call belong or belonging. Um, all but five of the 263 centenarians that they interviewed over the course of this research belong to some faith-based community. Mm. Uh, denomination didn't seem to matter, but the research showed that attending faith-based services four times per month could add as much as 14 years to your life. Unbelievable. Just because you belong to a bigger something bigger than yourself, yeah. something where you have opportunities to serve. You're social. You, know, you, you, you go back to things like stress uh-huh. or purpose. Yeah. See, so these things aren't independent of each other. They kind of integrate. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So That it, is, that is, and um, another one was love, loved ones first. They get their loved ones' yeah, attention yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, and in these cultures, 
uh, a lot of times, you know, the parents are living with the children mm-hmm. at certain points. Multi-generational. And, and that actually helps the the children in the home uh, uh, be healthier as yeah. well. And so, you know, they don't kick people out of their homes. It's so uh, true. Yeah, yeah, sometimes there's two or three or maybe even four generations living under one roof. Well, and many hands make light work, yeah. right? So yeah. to raise the kids, to have multi-generational yeah. families raising yeah. the children yeah. together. And, and they talk about respect. How how you know when you're around that kind of family, parents, grandparents, maybe even great grandparents, you develop a sense of uh, respect. You think about one of the ways totally. that some of the people, you know, the Okinawans relieved their stress was to think about their ancestors for a little I while love each day. That. Yeah, traditions so, and and again, these multi generations would then hand down traditions better. They'd hand down some of these, uh, you know, some of these beliefs, these systems a lot more effectively. Yeah. Now, 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 just one last thing, Matt. Yeah. To, to live you know, really long, like maybe say, you know, 100 plus years old, you do have to have a genetic predisposition for that. It, yeah. You know, genetics do play a role. Yeah. But the, the, the idea here is that you can live to well within your 90s, uh, basically disease-free and fully functional, you know, by following the patterns of the people in these blue zones. And I mean, in genetics, um, you can also more effectively live your genetics. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I, absolutely. And when you go back to this concept of environment, uh, you know, research shows that things tend to uh, cluster together or there tend to be trends. So, you know, I, I like to think of them as being contagious. So smoking, for example, can be contagious. I, yeah. I, I, I don't mean it's like viral or bacterial, but I mean if your parents smoke, you're more likely to smoke, that kind of thing. Right, right, right. Okay, so smoking, obesity, f- eating habits, all that can be contagious. But so can uh, happiness, so can stress, so can a physically active lifestyle, those kinds of things can be contagious too. Absolutely. So they, they create this environment and it becomes almost kind of self-perpetuating. I love it though. Yeah. I mean, this is just the insight we need. Uh, that's Blue, why we have our health evangelist. Bluezones.com. Check it out. Bluezones.com. And again, that uh, was Dr. Ron Hager, Associate Professor of Exercise Science in the College of Life Sciences right here at BYU University. Cool stuff. This is good stuff. I'm, I'm now, by the way, I'm standing up now. I went from sitting to standing simply because of Pastor Ron. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's that Time of the day when we get to go down and visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation to see what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Are you there? Oh, we're here. Oh, we're here. Hello, can you hear me? We're always (laughs) here. You weren't here yesterday. You weren't there yesterday. I was so sad. You were, but we didn't talk to us yesterday. We didn't talk. And yeah, yeah, I was sad. There was there was some madness happening. There was was some craziness. Because now the craziness was you had to clear out the whole Gonzaga story. Um, but you also had the beginning of football. Yeah, we didn't do a lot with the beginning of football because the story changed. It was all Gonzaga. Yeah, well, when you beat the number one ranked team in America yeah. in their uh, in their place, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. generally that kind of becomes the story, right? It, Pretty it, wild, right? It becomes, yeah, it's crazy. And But what, in the end, what does it do to the program? I guess it just pumps everyone up that we can do it. That's that's the question we'll address today is oh, what, a, what does it mean for your confidence in BYU basketball going into Vegas and beyond, right? To me, 
Uh, it has more to do with the future outside the season than this season. Mm. Yeah, I don't think that it changes BYU's destiny per se in Vegas. Although maybe BYU shocks us like they did on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, and plays beyond Monday into Tuesday for the tournament title Tuesday against Gonzaga or something. Uh, but St. Mary's is a tough matchup. I I just think Saturday was an indication of where the ceiling is with this group. They're young. They can do incredible things. They're going to have a full offseason together. They could be really good. That's what I think it means. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually very hopeful. Honestly, it's tough to come down from a loss or a win like that and get back to work against a team that's not the number one ranked team in America. So it, it's like the classic danger zone yeah. for BYU taking on LMU, a team they've beaten twice this season in the mm-hmm. first round. So it's like, oh, just survive that one and then give yourselves a shot against St. Mary's where the emotion can come back because you're not supposed to win that game. Oh. See, now I'm scared. You what got you me scared? You got me scared, scared because I just want them to win out the season. <laughs> Only uh, one college basketball team does that. I know, that's true. Well, I want to win out the tournament, just the tournament. Oh, Sorry, only one college basketball team does that in a super, are, super important, meaningful tournament. Yes. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? The NIT is not me? I'm just kidding. Knit. Knit. The knit. Knit. Yeah. Hey, um, so what else is on the show? That's, I mean, so far you're batting 1,000. That's awesome. Yeah, two for two, or are we three for three? You tell me, Matt. I thought you were or one two, for, two or just for one for two. one. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. just and, make the shots you take. You <laughs> miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take, Spencer. Uh, yeah, that is very true. Between the lines with Lauren Frankham, West Coast Conference Tournament Trivia Edition. Yes, coming up. You're yes, not really? miss that. It no. involves Jeremy and myself competing against each other. Impersonation, the whisper game, (laughs) uh, you know, faces, we'll have to describe them. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and Elijah Bryant continues to rack up uh, a bunch of awards, some on the national level, some on the West Coast Conference level. Two different players with national awards from BYU Hoops. See? Pretty pretty awesome. Legit. Yeah. beat number one, you get attention. (laughs) You get noticed. Hey, I don't know that we've mentioned, um, you know, Jimmer had his baby. Mm-hmm. It was his birthday. On his birthday. Oh, he did. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And BYU beat Gonzaga on Jimmer's birthday. Happy birthday, Jimmer. But um, I thought it was pretty cool that the guy left the China League, flew home to be there for his baby, and they were playing their tournament. Yeah. So they, cr- crazy story. Like yeah. she had to schedule. She scheduled it. Uh, yeah, to be induced. induced. And so, that allowed so that Jimmer to come back. I mean, so that's crazy. He played game one. Flew to Denver, where Whitney is from, where they live, in the off season, and had the baby. He was there that day. He flew back to China, oh. and then the, I think the next day played in Game Two of the series and scored thirty nine. And they yeah, and they won. And they won. So Game Three is tomorrow. Oh, uh, but, and by the way, Jimmer received an award from the Chinese League. We'll tell you that. Did he, like for like a frequent fly, a frequent flyer <laughs> yeah, traveler. Like, hey, you're the award. you're the Chinese airline. Something yeah. over the year. Hey, can I borrow like ten thousand of your <laughs> yeah, frequent flyer miles? miles? But what a cool, what a what a cool model to show the people of China. He could be a model, probably. Yeah, right yeah. he's taking over China, Matt. Yeah, is he is he owning China? Hey, yes. the, ever since you know the last guy to take over at this level, Genghis Khan. Wow, I mean, it's been a long time. Wow. It's crazy, dude. My wife is teaching English to Chinese kids on this through this program called VIP Kid that are in the Chinese mainland. Yeah. And uh, they know about him. She taught a kid that liked basketball that was an 11 year old. So she said, Do you know Jimmer? Jimo. And 
his eyes lit up and he just kept saying, "Did he?" Yes, and he was like, "Sharks, sharks, oh, how sharks." Cool. Nice. Yeah, that's they call cool. Him Gmo there because I can't. Gmo. See, changing the world, guys. Gmo. Changing the world. All right. I love it. Well, guys, have a great show. We we just know we, we hope it is. we're we're supporting you. We'll do everything we can to drop as many people right at your feet in about six minutes. Thank you. We please, that. please please give us treat them with care. Yeah, we'll try and uh, carry over the million oh, yeah. listeners that you have oh, yeah. and, and hold on to like I'll ten thousand. Take right? yeah, I'll take one percent. The million yeah. and my mom. Yeah. You got a million plus one. Sweet. There you go. Oh, a plus one. Yep. Shout out to Mrs. Townsend. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. Guys, have a good show. Knock them dead. That, uh, yeah, six minutes, guys. Six minutes. You get to just jump right in to the party they call BYU Sports Nation. Um, now, for a few more headlines for you. Um, a woman born without arms breaks a record for most candles lit with her feet. Awesome. A Mexican woman born without arms is now the world record holder for lighting candles with her feet on an Italian game show. Adriana Irene Macias Hernandez used her feet to light 11 candles and claim the Guinness World Record for the most birthday candles lit with the feet in one minute. I did not know there was a category Oh yeah. like this. Oh, yeah. And she did it in front of an audience. Now, do you light it with a lighter or do you light it with a match? Um, I think you have to use a match. And it's amazing. It, and but it doesn't have to be a scratch on the box kind. It, oh. it can be a scratch anywhere. You could just scratch there is it on that. Your, yeah, like on your. Yeah. Um, I heard this, and not to take away from this woman who right. is awesome, by the way. Yeah. By the way, a lawyer with a, has a law degree, travels the country, and lectures on her disability. So I'm not nearly as uh, accomplished as that, but I can do certain things with my feet. And I thought you and I could have a little challenge. Oh. So okay. I'm just going to take off my shoes okay. and I would invite you to do yeah. the same. Do you want me to take my shirt off? Shoes shoes are sufficient. Okay. No and shoes, I'll, no I'll know shirt. when you've done them because you said you yeah. when you've done that because you've only you shower once a week, right? Look, you can hear my toes. Okay. Tapping. So I'm going to start playing a guitar, a okay. little banjo. All right. And I want you to start playing a little banjo with, my with your feet, no hands. Okay. How hard? If you're using speak? hands, no, it's my hands cheating. are in the air. My hands are in okay. the air. Okay. On the count of three, let's okay. do this. One, yeah. two, two, three. Three. Wow, you're good. As are you. Not as good as me. Well, how about this? All right, let's take it up a notch here. <laughs> Hold on. It's... Oh, and uh, listen to that. Terry's playing a jug. Yeah! He's blowing the jug. Oh, I just got hit by one of your toenails. That's not a toenail. Take this. this. You're really good. You're a good picker. You're a good toe picker. Here's here's the best part of the talent that what? you and I have. What? We can even fade out on the banjo I'm using fading. our feet. And clear. So if you'd like to comment on who exhausting. you think won that duel, that was let us know. I didn't even know I knew how to play the banjo. You were you were pretty good, but yeah. I think that's called beginner's luck. No. You should see me play a guitar with my feet and a piano. So you, are you saying that the banjo is a little more difficult? My my feet, it's weird. I can reach an octave. I can wow. my toes can span an octave. Do you have to like disjoint your No. Oh. We call them talons. Towns and talons. It's a talent. No wonder I got hit in the face with one of your nails. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> as you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story. And our hero story this time is out of Buford, Georgia. It's common for 10-year-old boys to pretend to be their favorite superheroes, but one local boy actually became one this week when he saved a classmate who was choking on food at lunchtime. Hayden Gower, who is a fifth grader at the Buford Academy, was sitting in the cafeteria with friends when fellow student Bryce Greason began choking on a hot dog. His face was red. He was putting his head down. Gower told 11 uh, News 11 uh, Alive Caitlin Ross on Thursday. Another classmate, Xander Benitez, started screaming, Bryce is choking, and ran to get help from the principal. Kathleen Pulley noticed the commotion and immediately ran over to help. But before she could, she said Gower jumped into action. As I started to come over that way, he dislodged the hot dog and saved his life, Pulley said. For Greason, the short moments were terrifying. I was just holding my throat, and I saw my life flash before my eyes, he said. I felt like I was going to die. I felt scared. I felt just horrible. Police said Gower just sat right back down after the incident like it was no big deal. She asked Gower if he'd ever been trained on how to do the Heimlich. He said no. It was instant, she said. He did it automatically. He never thought twice about it. He saved his classmate's life. So there you have it. Bryce Greason is uh, is healthy and alive after a little hot dog episode, but simply thanks to Hayden Gower, his little fifth grade buddy, 